So to quote the late great Wu-Tang member, ODB, oh baby, I like it raw. 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 Nice. Oh baby, I like it raw. Hello and welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast on the Questionable Endeavor Network, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, just like our new listeners in the countries of Saudi Arabia and Trinidad and Tobago. Clearly, whether you live in the middle of the desert or the middle of an ocean, the Raw Attitude Podcast has something for everyone. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us on iTunes, I will be sure to read it on this very show, just like the five-star review which came in this week from new friend of the show, John Sabian, who says, and I quote, First ever review, first ever reason, this is a fantastically entertaining and enjoyable podcast that both informs and reminisces on a bygone era we all crave for. Henry does a great job of regaling us with forgotten raw moments that are hugely impactful in the Attitude Era and that pull you in and let you relive a time in pro wrestling all us sparks love. Awesome review there. Thank you very much, John. I really appreciate it. Very flattering this podcast is the first one you ever wanted to review on iTunes, so I hope you continue to enjoy listening to the show as much as I enjoy doing it week after week. Great to have you along for the ride. Also, a big thanks to Enzo Amore for singing the Raw Attitude podcast theme song, Shimmy Shimmy Ya by Old Dirty Bastard, on the July 25th episode of Monday Night Raw. Clearly, Enzo is a big fan of this podcast, so I want to thank him for listening and advocating for the show on national television. Much appreciated, my friend. And finally, a quick apology for the longer-than-usual delay between episodes. I was on vacation last week, so the beach temporarily took priority over the podcast, but I'm back now, and even better, this week we have a very special guest co-host who is here to discuss a historic episode of Monday Night Raw from the Geek and Gamer Guild podcast, which you can also find on the Questionable Endeavor Network. His name is is Troy. And Troy, since this is your first time on the podcast, would you mind telling the people about yourself and about the Geek and Gamer Guild as well? Well, I am a wrestling fan, of course. Uh, You can also catch me on the Rundown podcast. Uh, This is actually right in my wheelhouse as I started watching wrestling when I was a a mere lad of 12 years old back in 1996. So... Oh, well, now we know your age. (laughs) Yeah, do some some math, folks. It it helps. Uh, So... So yeah, this this was was right about the time that I was I was actually starting to form actual memories. So I do remember some of the stuff that happened in the show. But, oh, excellent! Uh, um, onto onto my podcast, I also took a little bit of a break, but it was because I actually transitioned to a new job. So I am hoping to hit the ground running again on on some more of the Geek and Gamer Guild podcast. But the Geek and Gamer Guild podcast is right now it's just been about uh, video games. But I hope to eventually branch into different like sci fi. TV shows, movies, um, you know, anything that's really geek culture as well. And uh, I'm still attempting 
to um, do some live streaming and and put on some things on the YouTube's. I just have not had t- had time, and my uh, capture device doesn't seem to want to work with my PlayStation Three very well either. So uh, still some technical difficulties from a technical podcast. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll say so far, I think you're doing a great job on the Geek and Gamer Guild. I think it's uh, three episodes in so far, right? Mm-hmm. And you did tackle Pokemon Go, which, of course, that was that's the perfect time to jump into a geek and gaming podcast, I think, is, is right around the time Pokemon Go starts. So you really capitalized on that one. That was a great episode, too. Yeah, and, uh, and I and and I I had mine uh, my Pokemon Go episode out way before WWE figured out that Pokemon Go was a thing <laughs> and started to started to write it into their program. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I think I went on that. Yeah, I haven't watched recently since they split the rosters, but I was told it was like our Truth and Goldust were playing or something like that. Uh, I mean, Goldust is playing because oh, he, he he himself actually does play. The joke being, of course, that our truth believes he is playing, but he is not really doing anything on his phone uh. Uh, because he's crazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, um, obviously, uh, Goldust first appeared on Up, Up, Down, Down, and let everyone know that he does in fact play Pokemon Go, and for whatever reason, that seemed to work its way into the storylines. So interesting. Well, in fact, Goldust plays a large part on uh, our episode of Raw tonight, actually. (laughs) Yes, he does. (laughs) Who would have thought 18 (laughs) years later? Mm -hmm. Imagine that. Well, and actually on that note, so before we dive into Monday Night Raw this week, there is also a pay-per-view to cover, which occurred the night before. Unforgiven 1998, which introduced us to two brand new types of matches. Now, Troy... I know you didn't watch this show, but did you happen to see, by any chance, the poster for Unforgiven 1998? I did not, but let me me go ahead and look that up while uh, we're talking. Okay, so for those of you who are listening, it's pretty bizarre. Basically, so the Undertaker is holding his left hand up in the air, and there's a black crucifix drawn on his palm for some reason. It basically looks like Taker is saying, Talk to the hand, Jesus. It's really bizarre. I don't know what the purpose of advertising that for a wrestling pay-per-view is, but hey, Black Crucifix right on my palm. I don't know. And actually, well, also on the note of the poster, a bit of history there. This is the first pay-per-view poster which incorporated the new WWF Scratch logo for promotional purposes, so it's a doubly historic poster right there. Have you have you managed to pull it up yet? It's only giving me the 1999 Unforgiven. Oh, wait, no. That's because it's called Unforgiven in your house. Sorry. Oh, Jesus. Um. <clears throat> He doesn't really look like The Undertaker on it, honestly. Yeah, that, he kind of doesn't, yeah. He looks a little bit more like Kevin Thorne. But, <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's really, really strange. I like the font, though. That's nice. Yeah, there you go. That's something. <laughs> yeah. So the show took place in the Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina, in front of 21,427 fans. And that's a lot of goddamn fans for a second-tier pay-per-view, especially when the WWF hasn't fully hit its stride yet. In fact... Remember WrestleMania 14 the previous month? That show was in front of 19,000 fans. So yes, Unforgiven outdrew WrestleMania by almost 2,500 people. There's a kooky historical footnote for you. But okay, let's uh, let's kick into the pay-per-view itself. The first match on the card was a six-man tag match. WWF Intercontinental Champion The Rock, Mark Henry, and D'Lo Brown versus Farouk, Ken Shamrock, and Steve Blackman. This was an okay-ish opener. They got about 13 and a half minutes of ring time. Eventually, the match devolved into a massive brawl on the outside, with The Rock and Farouk fittingly left by themselves in the ring. The Rock controlled things for a bit, but Farouk ended up seizing the momentum and hitting Rock with a really shitty-looking Dominator to pick up the three count, and he actually got a very nice-sized pop for it. 
Farouk gets a bit of revenge on his former Nation of Domination stablemates, but it appears that this rivalry is anything but finished. Stay tuned for that. For for Raw. You won't have to stay tuned for very long because we're going to delve into that in a little bit. I, I love the fact that when when the New Day was first coming out, when they, they first debuted, what, two years ago, everyone was like, oh, maybe it's going to be the, the, the new Nation of Domination. Funny revisionist history there. The nation was kind of a shitty faction, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't see. I don't see the most. The most impressive thing about the nation was its its single members and the, the careers they had after the fact. But as a team, they really didn't do much. You, that's a very good point, actually. And right now, I would say right now they're better than they were before previously, when it was Savio Vega and Crush and PG thirteen. Throw in Clarence Mason for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean they. I will agree about the nation, basically the individuals being much better than the collective. Because, yeah, you're right. As of right now, with the people they have, you got Mark Henry, you got D'Lo Brown, who go on to be successful. But at this juncture right now, eh, not not so much. Mark Henry's still very green, and D'Lo is basically, uh, he, he has no character, essentially, at this point. He's just kind of like, oh, there's that guy who's still in the nation, the one holdover from, you know, a year prior. So, yeah, I, I would agree with you on that statement. But he's something not, tells me. Oh, sorry, God. He's not. Uh, uh, I got fat shamed into wearing a, a jacket, Dilo Brown, either at this point. So, oh God, did that happen? <laughs> that's why he wore the chest protector. <laughs> oh Jesus, that's coming uh, and, up pretty soon. Yeah, that's very soon. Um, and then also we've got The Rock, who is kind of a shadow of himself at this point. Still, you you can see the potentials there, but he's still kind of uh, okay. Every once in a while, he hits a good one. Yeah, he's definitely uh, getting better. And they, at least their outfits are getting a little better. Yes, that's that's true as well. But something tells me they're going to have a new member pretty soon. Hmm. Mm. Just, just a hunch. Just a hunch. Yeah. Also, I'm glad you mentioned that New Day formation thing. I think people forget that, how there was that uh, that one promo that Xavier Woods did where he was basically, I think he just came into the ring and he was basically like, no more singing and dancing. Now we take what we want. And then, you know, fast forward a couple months later where they're singing and dancing. Oh, mm. You know what? I'll, I'll play that. I'll play that clip right about here and, and you can listen and just see how different they are now but uh yeah i'll play it right here everybody listen i need you to pay attention to what i'm about to say this is exactly what i have been talking about you cannot move ahead by shaking hands kissing babies singing and dancing like a puppet you cannot move ahead by always doing what you're told. Now, this is our time. This is our place. It is time for us to find focus. It is up to us to find order. Together, it is our time to find purpose. Because we do not ask any longer. Now, we take. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed that. Our next match, we... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Be be right before we move move on to one of the weirdest matches I've seen in a while. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This, the uh, the Nation theme song was also one of my first, one of the first times that we really had a really kind of filthy sing-along to it. Uh, I remember as a kid making a lot of Nation of Masturbation jokes. Oh, yes. And there have been a ton of Nation of Masturbation signs in the crowd as well. 
whole bunch of them. I think there was one week where there were actually like at least three in the crowd, people being like, ah, Nation of Masturbation. And of course, spelling masturbation with an E instead of a U, clearly, mm-hmm. because, you know, why spell check that? You're only going to be on television, so no big deal. That's yeah, the 90s. So the second match on Unforgiven was our European title match, champion Triple H versus challenger Owen Hart, with the stipulation being that China was suspended from the ceiling inside of a, st- a tiny steel cage so that she could not interfere. Yeah, about that. Well, once again, Owen gets a match against Hunter where the odds should be ever in his favor. And once again, well, I'll just take you through it. So toward the end of the match, China actually manages to bend the steel bars of the cage, and then she dangles herself from the bottom of it in what must have been a really scary spot for her to do because she was basically dangling from about 15 feet in the air. Eventually, the road dog lowered the cage so China could drop to the ground from a safer level, but Commissioner Slaughter and several WWF officials got in her way so she could not interfere in the match. Owen then actually hit Triple H with a pedigree of his own, but the referee was still distracted. That enabled X-Pac to sneak into the ring and hit Owen in the head with a fire extinguisher for some reason. Clearly, he should be at ringside for the Undertaker-Kane match later. And the referee then turned around to see Hunter covering Owen. One, two, three, and yes... Once again, Triple H gets a win over Owen Hart, his third victory over him in the span of six weeks. Just when you thought Owen couldn't possibly be humiliated by DX yet again, Vince McMahon says, Hey, remember how your brother punched me in the face? Get used to jobbing, kid. However, immediately after the match ends, Michael Cole interviews Owen, and he gives us a rather noteworthy soundbite. Owen, another loss to Triple H. Another loss to Triple H. It looks like DX has your number. You want to know what I got to say? Enough is enough. I've had it up to here. This bullshit has got to stop. Whoa. Enough is enough, oh, and it's going to stop. All right. Things All are right. going to have to change around here. Right. Uh, you may be delirious, ladies and gentlemen. We apologize. we apologize for that, ladies and gentlemen. So, Troy, what do you think about Owen Hart once again being outsmarted by DX, something which has basically been going on for the past four months? This is another one of those weird booking decisions where the the European Championship is so far below Triple H at this point, yeah. and he really should be higher up on the card. And instead of just giving it an interesting way that Triple H eventually no longer has the European Championship, <laughs> which makes no fucking sense. But uh, <laughs> the match as well with with China, you know, she she was she was lucky that you know that far above the ring, she didn't have an accident like Owen Hart. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, uh, uh, spoiler. Uh, yeah, this is it's it's weird that the the European Championship at this point is is very devalued where. Triple H just kind of has it, doesn't seem to really care that he has it. Yeah, um, pretty and, much. And Owen Hart, if they would have given it to him tonight, if he would have been able to sneak one out on it, it at least would have made the title a little bit more important because Owen Hart seems to really want the championship. Yeah, it's really a strange decision because at WrestleMania, the stipulation was China is handcuffed to Commissioner Slaughter, so she can't interfere. And then this one was China is in a tiny little cage, so she can't interfere. And both times when Owen basically should have it in the bag he ends up losing both of those matches. So I can't say for sure, but I feel like that's going to put him over the edge pretty soon. No, no pun intended there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, <laughs> I just realized I did that. Didn't mean to do that. But uh, I, feel like the, I feel like this is going to be a turning point for Owen. Just a hunch. Just a hunch. I was really hoping that China was actually going to beat Owen Hart with Sergeant Slaughter's corpse. During the <laughs> <laughs> but no. Yeah, and actually on that, on that note, the whole Commissioner Slaughter thing, he kind of, he's not the commissioner that we 
you know typically see now on Raw and SmackDown where it's like, oh, you come out and you know you make a match and blah blah blah. Basically, Commissioner Slaughter is just kind of coming out if there's some sort of uh, chicanery going on, but he's basically a non-factor. I don't actually know when he kind of gets written off, but I'm assuming it's probably pretty soon because he's basically just not doing anything at this point. So hopefully pretty soon. But anywho, so our next match was an NWA Tag Team Championship match. Champions, the New Midnight Express versus Challengers, the Rock and Roll Express. Now this was a pretty blah match that ended when Robert Gibson had bodacious Bart rolled up but the referee was distracted, so Bombastic Bob then snuck in and hit Gibson with a bulldog. The referee turned around, he counted the three, and the new Midnight Express retained their prestigious NWA Tag Team titles. And I think that's pretty much all we have to say about that one. My favorite is the fact that the TNA Tag Team Championships have been defended on WWE television. Oh, are those the same ones? <laughs> those are the same ones. Oh, wow. Uh, the other other thing is... How is it that we're we're late into the '90s and the names Bodacious and Bombastic <laughs> are still in use? Yeah, May, that that was like something the Ninja Turtles would say in like the late '80s. Mm-hmm. But you know, with the WWE, they they never really seem to catch on at the time that something is cool. They're always apparently a couple years late or a couple weeks too late. In the case of Pokemon Go, mm-hmm. they're they're not great with the pop culture. Right, and this was this was also kind of just a strange thing because what a what a weird time in wrestling that you had another promotions championships defended on a pay per view. This would really be bizarre. this would be like nowadays if like all of a sudden they're like, and here's Jay Lethal defending the the R the ROH TV championship. Like, what what? I'd be okay with that. I would be okay with it too, but it just wouldn't <laughs> make any sense. <laughs> no, well, you can thank Jim Cornette; he's the one who brought him in. Clearly, I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. It's his, his NWA stable, which basically doesn't even exist anymore, but <laughs> there you go. And now it's time for the match that everyone purchased the pay-per-view for, Sable versus Luna Vachon in the first ever evening gown match. So first off, both of their evening gowns are black, and Sable's gown looks pretty shitty. On the previous episode of Raw, Sable was actually wearing a very nice, classy-looking blue evening gown, but this one looked like she may have gotten it from rummaging through the discard bin at the Salvation Army. So Luna stripped off the bottom part of Sable's evening gown early in the match, exposing her thong. I can't believe I'm actually recapping this. <laughs> Mark Mero then came down to ringside to protest, which distracted Sable long enough for Luna to strip off the top part of the gown, leaving Sable in her bra and panties and earning the victory for Luna. However, that poor sports Sable then hit Luna with a Sable bomb and tore off her gown as well, which caused Luna to scramble under the ring. Sable chased after her, and when she reemerged, Sable was holding Luna's bra and panties, so yes, Sable stripped her naked. The artist, formerly known as Goldust, then covered her with his robe as Sable stood in the ring, tauntingly twirling Luna's panties, which is a rather awkward way to celebrate. Troy, do you have any memories of the historic first-ever evening gown match? Thankfully, no, because (laughs) this is like the worst ever evening gown match that I could possibly imagine pretty much um, also we'll we'll get to goldust later but it, it still bothers me that he is the artist formerly known as goldust at this point yet everyone calls him goldust and nothing <laughs> has changed and his it, it, it makes no sense but yes agreed hey remember remember when women's wrestling was this yeah yeah we've come a long <laughs> way <laughs> it makes you wonder like if sasha banks and charlotte had been around at this time two two women who can really go would they have ever actually been given the chance to wrestle, or would it have actually just been like, oh, Charlotte tore Sasha's bra and panties off, or blah, 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 whatever. 
I'm guessing it probably would have been that. Probably. I also have my doubts that they would have actually hired Sasha at this point because she doesn't have fake tits. Charlotte, Charlotte, on the other hand, there you go. I think they would have no problem with that one. Yeah, that is still pretty consistent. The uh, siliconical enhancement is still a, a pretty common thing. It seems. It's kind of it's so. kind of sad too because even even chicks like Paige have gotten a little little bump up in the old chest there, and yeah. they don't really need it. I mean, you look yeah. you look at someone like Sasha and you're like, well, she's fine with it, yeah, and you can look up to her like that. And then of course you do have people like Bailey who no enhancement needed there, but <laughs> right, <laughs> um, yeah. There's there's still this just really weird thing where you know right now we've got Eva Marie obviously who's you know, who's got plastic leaking out of her at every corner. You know, you've got actually a lot of the women call ups lately have been have been more natural women, which is good. But yeah, there's there's still there. If anyone thinks that that Charlotte has is is 100 percent natural, you you're smoking something because that's that's <laughs> not how a body works. No, no, no. I was actually surprised when Paige got him because she seems like more of like the alternative type chick, you know, who, who wouldn't want to do that. But nah, you know, what do I know? More power to her. Maybe the WWE gets a discount or something. I, I bet don't know. you they do. two I, for two for one. <laughs> I bet you it's it's one of those things like okay, look, look, look. We want you to do something with this hot mess that we have over here, Tamina Snuka. Oh, and 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 on top and and we'll we need to have her get thrown in under the Charlotte thing. So let's let's give breast implants to Charlotte because we're gonna push her and then do something about that face. You can't do oh. anything about that face. Uh, okay. All right. All right. All right. We'll get back to that. Um, you know the other the other thing as well is you know with with Paige she's the anti diva yet she's going to do everything that the rest of the women do right like appear on a reality show yes or oh Paige oh Paige disappointment you had disappointment I know had such <laughs> high hopes remember when she got the post WrestleMania buzz the next night on Raw beating AJ Lee and like ending her long-ass Divas title reign. Oh, what what could have been? It makes me sad for where Sasha potentially could be, you know, a year from now. Being like, oh, remember when everybody loved it when Sasha won the title? And now she's, you know, not on TV anymore. So hopefully it doesn't come to that. We already have a little bit of an issue with, with some of the women not appearing, such as Naomi, who just disappeared this week. Well, it's not like the roster's now on uh, on either show are all that stacked. So, I mean, I figure, like, she should be able to make TV at this point, now that the rosters are split and you basically have only, like, what, four women on each show? Well, we, you know, on Monday Night Raw, we had a guy coming off one of the biggest storyline wins, Sami Zayn, who was there, not overseas, like like people had, had imagined, because he apparently wrestled a dark match against Curtis Axel before the show. Oh. Was, did, just did not appear on Raw. No storyline going in. So this whole brand split was supposed to start uh, creating some opportunities for some guys, and they're leaving out one of the biggest draws that they might have. Smart decision. Oh, yeah. But anyway, that's that's raw from oh, the present yes. day. No one gives a that's shit right. about that, obviously. So so anyway, back to Unforgiven. A couple more matches to cover. We had our WWF Tag Team title match. Champions, the New Age Outlaws versus Challengers, LOD 2000. So you may recall the Legion of Doom earned this opportunity by winning the 15-team Battle Royal at WrestleMania 14 last month. And I'm just repeating that tidbit to remind everyone that a match at WrestleMania was used to set up a match at Unforgiven. Still just seems wrong. 
So anyway, the match ended when the Road Dog tried to hit Hawk with a tag title belt behind the referee's back, but Hawk ducked and Road Dog nailed Billy by mistake. Hawk then hit Road Dog with a German suplex, and the referee counted the pinfall, giving the victory and the tag titles to LOD 2000, and I will note that the crowd popped huge for this. However, when Howard Finkel went to give the official announcement, he declared the winners of this bout and still World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions, the New Age Outlaws. Now, how the fuck could that be possible? Well, referee Jack Doan was actually counting the three for the Outlaws because Hawk's shoulders were on the mat when he pinned Road Dog with the German suplex. And then, I'm assuming Jack Doan wanted to have that one back because an angry Hawk then clotheslined him, and LOD proceeded to hit him with a doomsday device. Pretty crazy to see a referee take that spot, when even trained wrestlers sometimes fuck it up. For example, see Henry Godwin's broken neck one year prior. I miss, I miss the time when when uh, refs actually got the shit kicked out of him, uh, as opposed to a, a gentle tapping of the face that, that knocks him out for three minutes. Kudos to Jack Doan for selling that, because the doomsday device, that's that's a pretty goddamn dangerous move. I don't think there was much selling there. I'm pretty sure he, I'm pretty sure he's dead now. He may actually be. And next up, Jeff Jarrett, believe it or not, actually did sing with country band Sawyer Brown performing their song Some Girls Do, which I assume is a tune about door number two. I don't know. And by the way, doesn't that kind of ruin Jarrett's previous country singer gimmick where they spelled out the fact he really couldn't sing and it was the road dog singing for him the entire time? Oh, well. After the performance, Jarrett started bragging and calling himself the new king of country music, but he ended up getting attacked by Steve Blackman. The lethal weapon put Jarrett in his modified Rings of Saturn-style submission move, but Tennessee Lee saved Double J by smacking Blackman in the head with a guitar shot, and for the record, this did not appear to be a gimmicked, explodey-type guitar, as it barely budged when it hit Blackman's skull. Jarrett then put Blackman in the figure four leg lock, but, as you might recall, the pay-per-view was taking place in Greensboro, North Carolina, a.k.a. Ric Flair country, so the fans began chanting, We want Flair, when they saw Jarrett use the Nature Boy's signature move. Oops. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, at this point, too, they were also... I mean, Jim Ross on the previous episode of Raw was literally saying, Oh, Unforgiven's gonna be in Ric Flair country, you know, teasing up the fact that because Flair is being sued by WCW, like, oh Flair might show up on on WWF television. No. Nope. Not quite. So basically it was their own fault for kind of getting the fans to maybe think that would happen. Mm-hmm. And our second-to-last match of the evening was the first-ever Inferno match between The Undertaker and Kane, where the only way to win was by setting your opponent on fire. Now, if you've never seen an Inferno match before, every side of the ring is surrounded by fire, which is controlled by someone switching the heat levels up and down. So, for example, when Undertaker or Kane land a big move and someone falls to the canvas, they crank the heat up higher to make it look like the impact was somehow increasing the flames. It makes no sense but it does look pretty fucking cool. I'll also note this match went for 16 goddamn minutes, and that really has to suck for those two guys when they're surrounded by intense heat for that long. You could probably wring the sweat out of both of their outfits, and there would likely be enough to fill the casket that Kane destroyed last week. I'm feeling for the guys in the front row, too. I've been to a WWE show when, when Pyro goes off for Kane, and it's hot just in a couple of seconds of that. Yeah, so it... six, 16 minutes of... <laughs> of being next to to actual flames where they just continue to keep blasting you with heat waves of it every time a time a big move hits 
Yeah. Yeah. Kudos uh, somebody, to them. somebody somebody should be passing out some water bottles there. Seriously. And they're big guys too. They're not like, you know, quick, small, agile types like uh, you know, like a Kalisto or somebody who's used to bouncing around the ring for, you know, hours on end. Like they're slow plotting guys who are moving pretty slow because probably, you know, they might get winded for a typical, you know, ten minute match. But yeah, sixteen minutes of of intense heat was uh was that's, that's quite a bit. That's quite a bit. Yeah, they're also uh, both wearing completely full jumpsuits. That's right. And Paul Bear is in a suit, so <laughs> yeah, that couldn't have been, have been a lot of fun for this match. No, not at all. Well, the big spot of the match was when Kane ducked out and started walking backstage, and the Undertaker was prevented from going after him by Paul Bearer, who went over to control the flames and make them go higher, so Taker couldn't leave the ring. However, Vader then emerged from backstage and started attacking Kane as payback for when Kane hit him with a comically large wrench at the No Way Out of Texas pay-per-view two months prior. Vader and Kane started brawling toward the ring, where the Undertaker then did his signature running dive over the top rope, landing on both men as flames shot into the air. Really cool spot. Taker then chased after Paul Bearer, who waddled over to the stage where Jeff Jarrett and Sawyer Brown just played, and Taker amusingly smashed one of their drums over Bearer's head. We even got a Paul Bearer blade job for good measure, so mark that one down in the history books. Taker then walked back toward the ring where Kane was waiting with a chair, but... When Kane raised his arms to hit him with it, the Undertaker booted Kane in the face, causing him to stagger backwards where the arm of his costume hit the flames and caught on fire. <gasps> right? Kane then ran to the backstage area with his arm still covered in fire as the bell rang and the Undertaker was declared the winner. Now, Troy, since it's a pretty famous encounter, do you have any memories of the first ever Inferno match? I do. I also remember at this time, obviously, I'm still about 14 years old. So I legit believe that Kane was a burned monster. Yeah. So I, th- this was, even for, even in my young, young, younger self here, really good storytelling because you have, you know, the whole thing with Kane's entire character is he's afraid of fire. He got his face fucked up. That's why he's got that weird black around his eyes. It's not going to make sense later, but that's that's for the time. Right. <laughs> and and having him react the way he did, it was like, oh, this this big giant monster has this this weakness. And it actually made for, for really good storytelling, considering that this was a, a an Inferno match, which is typically a terrible, terrible match. So, right. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And, you know, this was this was right about the time that The Undertaker was was probably my favorite before he decided to become American Badass. <laughs> Um, so, and this was still his kind of like, I've got supernatural powers stuff, which, which as a kid, you're just like, he's shooting lightning. Awesome. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. The storytelling is great because yeah, Kane's character is so defined by fire. You know, this is Kane was introduced basically by Paul Barry being like undertaker, your brother who you thought died in that fire is actually alive and he's scarred. And then of course, Paul Bear makes the inferno match thinking that the undertaker is going to be the one who gets burned. And it backfires and Kane ends up being burned yet again, which is presumably the one thing he would not want to happen. But Mm -hmm. yeah, so I agree. It was definitely a really good storytelling, really interesting angle. Who could have foreseen that my monster would be on fire? (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) And now it's time for the main event WWF Championship match. Champion Stone Cold Steve Austin versus challenger Dude Love. A few minutes into the match, Vince McMahon, Pat Patterson, and Gerald Briscoe walked to the ring, with Patterson putting down a chair for Vince to sit at ringside. 
Eventually, Dude put Austin in the abdominal stretch, the move which gave Dude the controversial victory over Steve Blackman on the previous episode of Raw. Once he locked it in there, Vince frantically yelled at timekeeper Mark Eaton to ring the bell and give Dude the victory, but Austin then reversed it and put Dude in an abdominal stretch of his own, so Vince waved him off. A little little screw job action going there. Later in the match, Dude went to give Austin a clothesline, but Stone Cold ducked, and Dude accidentally knocked out referee Mike Kyoto. Tough night for referees. Austin backdropped Dude to the floor, but Dude was able to grab the chair Vince was sitting in. Austin, however, elbowed the chair into Dude's face, and Vince went to check on him. However, when Vince was picking Dude up, Austin swung a chair and clocked Vince right in the head, with the announcers wondering whether Austin was swinging at Dude Love or if he intentionally swung the chair at Vince McMahon. Austin then rolled Dude back into the ring, hit him with the Stone Cold Stunner, and counted to three himself, since the referee was still down, and for some reason, they played Austin's music as he counted the pinfall himself, so I guess someone backstage thought Austin legitimately had the power to act as his own referee. EMTs checked on Vince as Austin celebrated and eventually headed backstage. Once he left, Gerald Briscoe went over to Howard Finkel and told him to announce that Dude Love had actually won the match via disqualification because Austin had struck a WWF official. The show then ended on a rather somber note as Vince was stretched out of the arena while Jim Ross used his worried voice and told us we should be concerned about him. So overall, Troy... Do you think Unforgiven sounds like a pay-per-view that you would want to revisit on the WWE Network? Actually, yes. Um, there was some. There actually was some some decent matches, as far as I remember. There were also simply for some of the stranger moments, like China in a Cage. Um, yep. The Inferno, the Inferno match definitely deserves a look. And Dude Love is was always a weird character to me. For some reason, I never remembered him being in the main events, but yeah. apparently, <laughs> apparently that was a thing. And it's this is also. I completely must have blocked out of my mind that dude love like it's not, they don't play it off as like, this is a, a fully different character. This is a new person. They, they come right out and tell you it's Mick Foley. Right, so, yeah. uh, so that, that's, that's really interesting The you know, Foley and, and Austin kind of back and forth. And this was, was just right in, right at the beginning of stone cold versus Vince McMahon, which is obviously one of the greatest feuds of all time. Absolutely. So yeah, I definitely say that this is, this is definitely worth worth a watch. It's it's one of the better events that uh, that happened during the Attitude Era. Yeah, I think it's worth a watch too. I think the the general perception on it at the time was a little bit mixed, but time has been much kinder to it because I think it's a, a kind of a case where you know we have there were three matches on the cards that were kind of gimmicky, and the main event ended with a screwy fashion because you know Austin basically just counted his own pinfall and then got disqualified for no reason. So it was kind of at the start of you know that sort of Attitude Era screwiness that would come to define the era. But since then, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it seems like, a, I, you know, I didn't watch uh, everything end-to-end here. I was kind of skimming some parts of it because I didn't want to have to go watch a whole three-hour pay-per-view before, and also do the Raw as well. Yeah. But uh, it definitely seems like one I wouldn't mind revisiting at all. It's, all in all, seems like a, like a pretty good card. And actually, I'll give one final note on Unforgiven. So the pay-per-view did 309,000 buys, which actually topped WCW's Spring Stampede, which aired one week prior and garnered 275,000 buys. So not only has the WWF caught up in the television ratings, but they have now scored higher buy rates than WCW in back-to-back months. So clearly, the tide appears to be turning. But all right, with all that being said, are you ready to get into Monday Night Raw? Hell yeah. 
All right, well then, let's get down to business. It is Monday, April 27th, 1998, and we are live from the Hampton Coliseum in Hampton, Virginia. We open the show with Michael Cole recapping the events of last night's pay-per-view and telling us that Vince McMahon will be at Raw tonight, potentially with bad news for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Cue up the opening theme song, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Now, Troy, I don't know if you noticed any particularly noteworthy signs, but here are a few which stood out to me. Shamrock fears doink. Vince rapes China, Mm -hmm. our second straight week with a sign about rape for some reason. And, oh baby, I like it raw. So clearly everyone appears to love that song this week. Did you notice any good signs? Uh, Just looking at my notes here, I had a couple of them. Hold on, let me see if I can find it. I do have it. I just have have a random note here that says the age where they didn't remove signs from the crowd. So yeah. <laughs> let's see where else I found. Maybe I can't. Maybe I'll, maybe we'll get to it later. But I can't. I can't find it in my notes because they're kind of a jumbled mess. But that's fine. Um, I also um, right off the bat want to say the love this opening theme as a kid. It was it was great. Oh yeah. Couldn't understand a goddamn word they were saying, but sure as hell loved it. Still can't to this day. I still no. have no idea. <laughs> I just remember that song. I got it on uh, Full Metal, the album. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking, like, when you listen to the whole song, there's one verse where the guy just sounds completely like Adam Sandler. (laughs) Where he's he's literally going, You're making fun of me! It's pretty terrible. But as a raw theme song, in a a small dose, it's probably the the best, I would say, the best raw theme song they've done. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's better than Nickelback. That's, you know... Not not exactly saying too much. I don't even know what the raw theme song is these days. I can't even think of it. Is it still like that bright lights hype crowd? Everybody, get no. Whatever actually, that one? Um, I think it's a a shine down song. It's by an actual band this time. Um, it's oh. it's kind of a, a more popular song. It's it's actually a, a song that right now is kind of on the top rock charts. So oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the the SmackDown theme, on the other hand, is a is one that C dollar sign F O has created. Or however you fucking say their names. <laughs> is it that's are they still using the one where it's like I'll face it? The blah, nope, blah, blah. no. It, with, oh. with the brand split, they have completely new theme songs. Um, oh right. The SmackDown one is actually decent. Um, the the Raw one, well, it's recognizable, so it, it makes it interesting. But I I still rank it below this one and actually below the Union Underground. Uh, which was one of my favorite themes as well. That's the oh, which which one was that? That's the one where it's like not get the gods to drugs. Oh yeah, yeah. I do remember that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. I actually seen move to the music. Yeah. I actually seen that band live. They don't exist oh. anymore. <laughs> oh, no. um, because they couldn't top the raw theme songs. No. So they're like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm, we're, we got to bow out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also have written here. Uh, I forgot how long Michael Cole has been with the company. Um, completely forgot. <laughs> completely forgot that he existed at, in this this iteration. Um, yeah. And also, we get some terrible '90s long sleeve shirts on the announce team. So, <laughs> absolutely. Sometimes you get a terrible 90s denim jacket on Michael Cole as well. And he used to have the frosted tips, but thankfully that's he's not rocking that look anymore, I don't he, think. He also lost the, the goatee, which I was kind of sad about. Oh, God, yeah, that was horrendous. <laughs> it's uh, I would take the goatee over the soul patch that he rocks for a while, though. <laughs> yeah, again, a pretty low bar to clear. Mm-hmm. So sure enough, we open the show with the first of several segments which are among the most famous in WWE history. Jim Ross informs us that DX has declared war on WCW, and he is about to cue us into pre-taped footage from earlier today. Before we do that, however, here is a quick backstory. 
As mentioned earlier, Raw was taking place in Hampton, Virginia, while Monday Nitro was at the nearby Norfolk Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia, only about 17 miles away. So WCW made somewhat of a habit of this, as they would occasionally run their shows in arenas near the WWF's events, with the not-cost-conscious WCW giving away tons of free tickets to get people to attend their shows instead. So clearly, DX could not allow this injustice to stand. And so, with that in mind... We cut to pre-taped footage from earlier today. Now, first of all, if you've never seen these segments before, number one, I'm amazed you have made it this long without doing so, and number two, you should go seek them out immediately after you finish listening to this podcast because they're pretty enjoyable. So allow me to set the scene for you. All five members of DX are wearing camouflage pants, and Triple H is acting as the drill sergeant. They're standing near some sort of small military vehicle with a large gun at the front of it, and Road Dog has amusingly cut holes in the top of his helmet so that his dreadlocks can poke through it, while Billy Gunn has attached a tree branch to the top of his helmet. China is holding a gun, and X-Pac is wearing an armband, which says P-O-W-C-W. Triple H then proceeds to lay out the mission, so let's hear his plan. Today, we embark on a mission. We have seen the enemy, and they are near. So today, we will go down there. Down where, sir? Down there. (laughs) And we will blow them out of the water. This mission will start at the Norfolk Scope with WCW. Wrestling. <laughs> and it will end right here tonight at the Hampton Roads Coliseum for Raw is War. This is your mission if you choose to accept it. Ladies, accept. Ladies and gentlemen, it will be all for one and one for all. Now sign it! So we'll check in with DX throughout the rest of the show, but now, let's go to our first match of the evening. Ken Shamrock and Owen Hart versus WWF Intercontinental Champion The Rock and Mark Henry. Now, I definitely popped when I realized this match was on the show because I knew that this was an encounter where something very interesting and somewhat nonsensical happens. So did you know about this one going in, Troy? No, I didn't. Uh, Nice little reminder that WWE is always just randomly throwing together tag teams because all of a sudden, hey, it's Shamrock and Owen Hart. You're just like, oh, of course. Wait, what? Were were they? I I legitimately was like, were were they a tag team at this point? I I didn't remember them actually being friends. Also, we get (laughs) The Rock almost, almost like he is forced to say it, saying, Finally, the people's champ has come back to Hampton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's still very early on with him doing that, so he, he hasn't, you know, made the habit of, you know, doing the very slow, finally. He's, he's literally just kind of getting it out of the way. Like, yeah, finally the Rocks come back to Hampton. Yeah. Boom, there you go. They, uh, they also, I completely forgot that he's still Rocky Maivia at this point. Um, yes, yeah, he's, he's getting introduced as The Rock Rocky Maivia, yeah. yeah. He's so much so he's got RM written on his trunks, too, but The Rock on the back, so... He's, this is like, this is that weird like. You remember those like animorphs books where like on the cover they had like the the kid that turned into the animal. No, I don't. Oh well, there was a, always a couple of shots in between that two of like mid transformation. This is like the Rock in between his like mid transformation into the People's <laughs> Champion, <laughs> where you're like, I can. He's, it's starting to take shape. 
like I can almost see it there, but he's still got a little bit of that weirdness left on him. Yeah, that little gray area in between. <laughs> so I'll take I'll take you through the match again. The match: Ken Shamrock and Owen Hart versus The Rock and Mark Henry. So. The Rock and Owen begin the match in the ring, but The Rock tells Owen he wants to get his hands on Shamrock instead, so Owen obliges and tags Shamrock in, and Owen then gives Shamrock a high five, but then he kicks him in the balls and hits him with a spinning heel kick. The rest of the nation then run into the ring and start putting the boots to Shamrock as Owen leaves to go grab a chair. The nation holds Shamrock down as Owen puts the chair around his ankle, climbs to the second rope, and stomps on Shamrock's ankle, the old Pillmanizer. He then does the same move again and puts Shamrock in the sharpshooter, which causes Steve Blackman to run to the ring and try to help out, but the nation easily overwhelms him. Farouk then runs to the ring as well, but he meets the same fate as Owen continues to apply the sharpshooter to Shamrock. Eventually, WWF officials are able to temporarily separate them, but then Owen jumps on top of Shamrock and starts biting his ear, Mike Tyson style, and we get the rather cool visual of Shamrock's blood dripping out of Owen's mouth. Eventually, order is finally restored, and it all becomes clear. Owen Hart has joined the Nation of Domination. Troy, what are your thoughts on Owen turning heel one short week after his brother did the same on Nitro? It was weird because I was pretty sure the Nation of Domination was supposed to be the Black Panthers, and I don't mm-hmm. think that they allow white guys in there, especially <laughs> Canadian white guys. Well, they used to have PG-13. I think those were white guys. Yeah. They had Crush. They had yeah. Crush. Right on. Um, also, uh, I have written here Steve Blackman is a moron um, <laughs> because simple math will tell you you don't don't run out there, especially when there's another guy like a couple of feet behind you that's going to run out too. Come in together. <laughs> yes, exactly. Come in, come in with some weapons, something like that. Like, you are going to run out there to try to help Ken Shamrock. You're still outnumbered, what, six to one at this point? Even with yeah. Farouk, Farouk coming out, it's still not enough, man. You need an equalizer. Come come with those little little weird nunchuck things that you have, stuff like that. At least that's. Yeah. Something. Also, um, funny that you can't trust a guy who calls himself the Blackheart. You would think <laughs> right. this, you would think that, that that's a really good. I'm 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 the Blackheart Owen Hart. Oh, you're a trustworthy fella. Yeah. Um, also, was was that his way of trying to tell us all along that he was joining the nation by calling himself the Blackheart? Ooh, Did we go. just not? We never read between the lines, but he was saying it. He was telling it from the start. Yeah. You no, know, no, no. I I wasn't saying that I'm calling myself the Blackheart. I'm saying I'm black at heart. See? It, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, it, suddenly this suddenly this heel turn does make sense after yeah. all. So yeah, Owen Hart in the Nation of Domination. St- still very strange that we're only four months removed from him returning after the screw job and basically being, you know, one of the top faces, if not the top face in the company. And now, yeah, you, just, you turn him heel and you, after months of jobbing to DX. So, okay, I guess we'll see where it goes. Yeah, this is why a lot of people um, make reference to the fact that Cesaro kind of gets the Owen Hart treatment. Oh, um, uh, okay. Guy who's Owen Hart's got a lot of talent. He should be a main eventer even at this point, and he's got a lot of support behind him. And him fighting the Nation of Domination was actually a, a good thing. And then we're just going to turn him heel, and then we're not really going to do much with him after this. So. Well, technically, Cesaro did main event the most recent episode of Monday Night Raw. Of course, he lost, mm-hmm. but uh, but he did main event. And he does occasionally use Owen Hart's uh, submission finisher. So, yes, so there is. you go. There you go. The parallels are eerie. Maybe maybe we'll get him uh, ascending from the Raptors. Uh, let's hope not. 
So when we return from break, we see that the set for the Love Shack is set up, and two hippie chicks in thong bikinis emerge from backstage with flowers and peace signs painted on themselves. Dude Love then comes up behind them, and he has a microphone. He says that Steve Austin is a tough cookie, but last night he chewed up that cookie and spit him out. He says he was in pain after the match, and when the ladies asked him to go to the hotel, he unfortunately had to tell them he just wanted to be held. Talk about a great way oh, to get boy. heel heat. Yeah. Oh, boy. Also, didn't know they had fake tits in the 60s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, remember when, remember that time that WWE hated Mick Foley? This is it. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, it's actually kind of funny that the, the whole lore of Unforgiven, one of the big lures was... Hey, if you pay money to see Unforgiven, you're probably going to see Sable stripped down to her brawn panties, which had not really happened at this juncture. It obviously goes on to happen much more frequently. Mm-hmm. But that was like one of the lures of Unforgiven. And then the next night, it's like, here are two chicks hotter than Sable coming out in thong bikinis. So, yeah. Also, yeah. The, the, the chick on the left is playing a real dangerous game because those tits are just trying to escape the bottom of her top. <laughs> oh, God. Um, also, we could really creepy, <laughs> creepy camera slow pans. Just like, yes. I mean, like, I felt dirty watching. I was like looking around. I'm like, there's nobody else in, in my house when I'm watching this. I'm looking around like, is anyone going to see me watching this? Because this is weird. If, <laughs> if you turn the volume all the way up, you can hear the cameraman going, yeah, yeah be dirty. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> uh, also, these these poor women. This segment goes on for so long and they have to force those smiles. Yes, the eye contact with the oh, camera. God. Uh, one of those girls was really straining after a while to maintain <laughs> the eye contact. That was that was one of the as a kid, I'm sure I was just sitting there staring at tits. But as an adult, the fact that I have access to the internet, I was just watching how miserable these two chicks were. Yeah, First of seriously. All, they did not want to be anywhere near Mick Foley because I'm sure yeah. he's sweaty, probably smells a little bad. And on top of that, it's just like they've had some weird paint on them, and they're just like everyone's looking at us. We just gotta keep smiling. We're gonna earn that two hundred bucks that we got. <laughs> I wonder what the casting was like for that too. Were they just like, oh, ca- casting call for local women in Virginia to do a segment live on Monday Night Raw, and they're just like standing there while a guy pretending to be in the sixties is saying weird shit and they're I, I assume just standing around being like well, what the fuck is going on here why am I doing this okay whatever but um, yeah so El Duderino then accuses Stone Cold of taking the easy way out and striking a WWF official in order to save his title last night although literally Foley was the one who hit the referee but I guess maybe he's talking about Vince McMahon I don't know so Foley suggests Vince McMahon should strip Austin of the title and hand the belt over to himself instead. Dude and the ladies then head backstage so he can make it up to them for his lack of a performance last night. I would ask for your further thoughts on the Love Shack if you have any, but uh, I think we covered it pretty nicely there. I've... Very aw- awkward eye contact was the uh, the theme of the night there. Foley's still uh, still really good on the mic, even doing doing this terrible character. Yeah, um, very very much just he's he's a good hand at this point. I mean you. You give him something like this where he he could be floundering and he's actually doing a, a decent job. Still got a lot of motion in the in it and everything of like that and uh, really creepy. So yeah, so all I got to say about that. There you go. So up next, we cut to more pre-taped footage from earlier. And now we see the DX have made their way to the Norfolk Scope Arena where Monday Nitro is being held. Triple H has a megaphone and he asks a crowd of fans what they really think about World Championship Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, do you think Eric Bischoff sucks? Hell yeah! Do you think WCW 
Yeah, we get a random 90s girl here, which is always nice. <laughs> we also get um, some some really, really weird, uh, weird comments. And also, can you imagine if next week on SmackDown, AJ Styles hops in a Jeep, drives down to the Impact Center. Oh, my God. And gets on a loudspeaker and starts saying, Dixie Carter sucks. <laughs> I can't believe that there was a time that WWE actually reference the fact that they have competition i know and not just that well, well I mean, T- tna may not count as competition yeah, these days but yeah. yeah that's true but yeah i mean we've we've got we have an entire segment built on the fact that we're just now invading and insulting and there's a lot of exposing of the business here too where triple h and x-pac are just telling it like it is man they're, they're shooting on wcw hardcore and yep. you you've got a lot of a, a lot of it um just Earlier, we had X-Pac corpsing at Billy Gunn's fake penis, or, or bazooka yes. penis. Now we've got X-Pac and, and, and uh, Triple H, and in the next segment, too, as well, just hollering things out that you just, that if you're if you're a mark, you're just like, what is what is going on? I thought, like, yeah. to... <laughs> but if you were if you were hip to what was going on, you're just like, I can't believe they're getting away with this. Seriously. And then so we come back from commercial after that one, and the DX footage continues again. And this time we see they're walking amongst the fans, and Triple H then singles out one attractive female <laughs> fan in particular. Was this the one you were referencing? Yeah, another ra- another random 90s woman. <laughs> yep, there you go. He singles out one attractive female fan in particular and asks her thoughts on WCW. I hope you're going to play it. Oh, I'm playing it right now. <laughs> generation X, the only group in the world with the cojones big enough to come to the front line to fight the battle, to come to the front line and fire the first shot. We are D-Generation X, and we will take no prisoners. What I'd like to know is, not from experience, but do you think WCW sucks? Of course. (laughs) The biggest thing I want to know is, I'm pretty sure that JR saying original jams is going to be my new ringtone, by the way. <laughs> original, yeah. Is that when he's introducing uh, yeah. whatever, Full Metal, the album? We have, we have Full Metal, the album with original jams, and we also uh, <laughs> um, have, a, have a spot for some burst gum. And now I really want burst gum. So, Does it still exist? Uh, I'm going to say probably not. But, well, I'm sure you could find it. It's, it's the age of the internet. You can find anything on there. Yeah, it is fun watching the old sponsors because a lot of them are no longer in business. Like 10, 10, 3, 2, 1. I was just going to say 10, 10, 3, 2, 1. WWF sponsored by Milton Bradley's Karate Fighters. <laughs> sponsored by the JVC Kaboomba. I don't know why I'm sounding like, uh, yeah. like George W. Bush instead of Jim Ross, but <laughs> the, it, J, JVC Kaboomba sponsoring Raw. It's been 20 years at this point. And we're still doing these terrible, weird segments. And even worse nowadays, where we're actually working it in, where all of a sudden, Gyro guys just... There's Titus Young backstage e- eating a Sonic cheeseburger. Titus yeah. Young? <laughs> Titus O'Neil. Okay. Right. Put, them, put them together. That's, that's, when they do, <laughs> that's when they do their fusion dance. Um, there you go. <laughs> um, we also are going to come back with... Uh, this is going to be my question of the night. Why did Vince sneak into the back of the arena? Yeah, fair question. <laughs> fair question. He looks. He looks like he doesn't belong at this point. When he, he like, <laughs> like they, they, they have to like push the emergency door open for him, and he just like kind of looks around. He's just like, is, is this where I'm supposed to be? 
he's he's just so worried about Austin that he's afraid to enter an arena, yeah, clearly. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so that'll lead us actually to our second match of the evening, the Headbangers versus Terry Funk and Two Cold Scorpio, right. who is thankfully no longer going by the name TCS Funk. And we're told that the winners of this match will get a shot at the WWF Tag Team titles. And before the match begins, what you just referenced happens where we see Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe arrive in the arena and Vince McMahon comes in behind them. And apparently he's doing just fine for someone who was taken off on a stretcher less than 24 hours ago. Mm -hmm. But as for the tag match, it was brief, but I thought actually rather enjoyable. Basically, it was just spot after spot with Mosh launching Thrasher onto Scorpio on the arena floor followed by 53-year-old Terry Funk executing a moonsault from the turnbuckle onto all three men. <laughs> yeah, team, uh, team Old Guys versus Team Headbangers was pretty decent. Um, yeah. The, uh, the ref really wasn't trying to make it a normal tag match. <laughs> as no, it, not at it all. Was, um, there was also that, that spot you're talking about with, uh, with Mosh landing on, on Too Cold Scorpio. Uh, Thrasher legitimately has to spin him around in order for him to look the right way. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, as I was watching this match, I noticed you you said this is for the number one on contendership. We don't learn that until about 10 minutes into the match because <laughs> they don't start by seeing it. There's no graphics at this point or that. All of a sudden, later on, you just hear Jim Ross, uh, I don't want to rest match will be the number one contender. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, by the way. <laughs> by the way. Yeah, and oh, by the way. Uh, nobody wins. Yeah. It's a it's a double disqualification because Tim White tries to break it up when they all get back in the ring and there's pushing and shoving. I think Terry Funk shoves Tim White and he just rules it a double disqualification. So I guess there will be no number one contenders. Mm-hmm. And basically the segment ends with the teams continuing to brawl. And then Scorpio actually, after the match, hits a really nice moonsault on one of the headbangers. And let's just say that his looked a lot better than Terry Funk's moonsault. <laughs> Terry Funk's moonsault looks kind of like it's like a half. Mm-hmm. He goes kind of like halfway. It's just really strange because he it, he doesn't seem to land. You know, when we picture a moonsault, it's kind of like a, a basically a backwards flip, and his is kind of like he basically kind of like looks over his shoulder and lands awkwardly on his side. It's 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 not great, yeah. but hey, I mean, at fifty three years old, kudos to him for even doing it. So my my favorite part of this is he looks old as shit here. This is a guy who. Mind you, it's been seventeen or it's been eighteen years since this. This Terry mm-hmm. Funk wrestled last year. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So after how many times has he retired? I don't even know. I think he doesn't even know the word. He, he just thinks that that means he's taking a break for a couple of months. Yeah, I, I think actually the funny thing was uh, I, I don't know what number of retirement this was, but a couple episodes ago on Raw, the Raw after WrestleMania, Mick Foley was referencing that Terry Funk was considering retiring because they had won the tag titles the night before. So it was like, really? We're we're teasing the retirement even back then, and then still, yeah, 17 years later, he's still still going. Terry Funk, the Brett Favre of the WWE. That's right. <laughs> um, oh, I finally found I found it. Uh, there is a sign that says, Vince flunked out of school, which I thought was oh. really nice. <laughs> harsh, harsh. Very strong criticism there. Mm-hmm. So up next... We once again go back to pre-taped footage from earlier today, where DX has made their way to the ticket office of the Norfolk Scope Arena, and they want to give a shout-out to their pals who are currently employed by WCW. I wonder who they're talking about here. Hmm, I wonder. What I want to know is, does anybody here have any of the free tickets that WCW gives away to try to fill up their TV? And if anybody doesn't know, this is D-Generation X. Fight for the front line against WCW tonight. We are 
Now, at this point, I, I was a fan of both. Um, I'm one of the rare people that actually flip back and forth between Raw and Nitro. Most, uh-huh. most people seem to pick sides. I loved them both, man. I just just loved wrestling at the time, and I just went into to, you know, watching both. So uh, sometimes the commercials lined up. Other times I would just uh, – I'd have to choose which segment I was more interested in at the time. But, uh, yeah, so I actually did know who they were talking about to an extent. But, mm-hmm. again, this was this was pre-internet days, really, so – I was like, I'm like, I think he's talking about Hall and Nash, but that's kind of weird, because yeah. like because it didn't make sense in my in my kayfabe addled brain that uh, the DX would be would want to be hooking up with the uh, NWO. Yeah, I will admit, I you know I have said for I think on this podcast before that I was basically a WWF loyalist, like I was completely loyal to the WWF, but when I heard you know through through the interwebs at the time, of course. That Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, you know, Razor and Diesel were invading WCW. I definitely was flipping around, you know, once the NWO was formed. And especially once Hogan joined, I was like, oh, fuck, now, you know, I have to at least flip over to Nitro to see when they're on, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And when we come back from break, Vince McMahon is walking to the ring. To no music. (laughs) Yeah. It's so, so very odd to watch him come down with no music whatsoever. I, I still think he doesn't get it until Royal Rumble 99, unless I'm mistaken. I know I know no chance in hell is Royal Rumble 99, mm-hmm. but I don't know if he uses a theme in between then or if he just comes out complete, to complete silence the entire time. I don't know. I guess, I guess we'll see. Hmm. So he grabs a mic and says he has a heavy heart because he has had to make some very difficult decisions over the past 24 hours. Before he gets into that, however, he says that he knows Steve Austin was actually trying to hit him with the chair last night, instead of due to love, to which the crowd is quite pleased. Vince claims that the chair shot caused him to sustain a mild concussion Uh-oh. with bouts of dizziness and nausea, so file that under angles which would never occur in the year 2016. Yeah. Also, file that under really good information for the future. Symptoms of the concussion. Yeah. <laughs> file that also under they knew this was something that could happen and didn't care. But however, none of those concussion side effects are clouding his judgment when pertaining to what he is about to say here tonight. In response to the issue of whether he will fire Stone Cold Steve Austin, Vince says, Not yet. Firing Austin would be too good for him, and Vince has other plans for him. Later on tonight, Stone Cold will defend his WWF championship against the artist formerly known as Gold Dust. You would think Vince would try to come up with some better competition. But that's not all. The special guest referee for that match will be Gerald Briscoe, and he emerges from backstage. Vince tells us that if Austin lays a hand on Briscoe, his WWF title will be revoked, and he will be fired immediately. Yeah, Vince this asks. Oh, yep. Sorry, God. This whole segment was uh, kind of like a blowjob that ends in a handjob. You're like, <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, okay, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a match tonight. It's gonna be Stone Cold. We're in the age where we've got a roster that's got The Rock and Triple H and Undertaker, and oh, it's gonna be Goldust. Okay, yeah, yep. of all people, <laughs> one of the few I imagine WWF title shots Goldust ever actually gets. So Vince asks Briscoe if he will be an unbiased official, to which Briscoe responds. Yes, sir, Mr. Mac-Man. I always enjoyed I always enjoyed the way Briscoe pronounced Vince's last name. It was like Pac-Man with an M. But what happens, what happens if a weirdo like Goldust 
were to actually win the title tonight, well, Vince would actually be fine with that because anyone would be better than the champion they have now. We then get a shot of Stone Cold backstage as he angrily knocks over an easel, but meanwhile, I'd love to know who's painting pictures backstage during Raw and what exactly they were drawing. So, Troy, what did you think of Vince McMahon's announcement of tonight's main event? It's funny to see McMahon before he's really into the Mr. McMahon character. Um, the Mr. McMahon. Mr. McMahon character, yes, yeah, sorry. It was, like I said, it was it was kind of disappointing. Um, I, I didn't remember that that was who he's going to announce. I thought it was going to be something more. This uh, this does actually lead to a really nice backstage segment with Foley, though, which I, I it does, which I particularly enjoyed. But yeah, I was this that's that's the main event, man. Gold dust. That's that's the best you could do. Yep. Yep. That was very surprising as well because I I did not remember that at all too. So yeah. Mm-hmm. But hey, we get I I don't know if it's one of the few times Austin and Goldust have ever actually faced each other, but yeah. For, so from a historical perspective, I guess that's something. Yeah. And now when we come back from break, we get more footage of DX taking the fight to WCW, and this time they're attempting to drive their military vehicle inside the arena. Will WCW let them in? Let's find out. My favorite is poor Road Dog doesn't fit in the Jeep. He had to walk alongside of it. We are going down! Down where? Down there! Yeah! Shot of them closing the gate. The war begins, but the cowards ended by closing the gate. WCW is a bunch of cowards. As we stand, we stand now. Go down there. Go down there. All the way down. We stand now at your door, knocking on that door to let us in and fight the war. D-Generation X now knocks on your door. We call you out. WCW, open the door. D-Generation X knocks at your door. We are asking you. D-Generation X calls you to accept the battle. No. All we want to do is talk. We would like... That's all. Woo-hoo! Well, Troy, that was the final clip of the night, so I have to ask you, what did you think of DX invading WCW? I thought it was uh, it was really interesting. I I I actually laughed at quite a few moments. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the fact that Triple H was the only one who seemed to be taking this seriously, as if everyone, yeah. everyone else was just kind of fucking around. X Pac was just he was kind of making jokes through a lot of it. Road Dog was you know having doing kind of hamming up. Billy Gunn was actually kind of funny too. And yeah. and as I said, it was it was really really refreshing to see them actually take the fight to WCW because at this point, like you said, we we the the tide is starting to turn, and I think that they they kind of smell blood in the water and they're they're getting a lot more ballsy with it. I don't think that uh, WWE or WWF at this point would have done this a couple months ago when they were just getting hammered in the ratings. But I think that now right. that now that they're starting to see, hey, we're 
we're kind of, you know we're we're coming up on them we're we're getting our our fight back they're just going to go balls to the wall on it so absolutely i remember when this aired the first time I thought this was like the coolest fucking thing in wrestling history because <laughs> I was like, really? Like, w, they're actually going to the arena because this was a time I, I had obviously known before on Nitro. They acknowledged the WWF all the fucking time. Like mm-hmm. Eric Bischoff would begin the Nitro broadcast by saying, here's what happened on the pre-taped Raw and openly, you know, calling them the World Whining Federation and stuff like yeah. that. They Like they made no no qualms basically about just, you know, picking on the WWF all the goddamn time. And then the WWF comes right to their door. Only like four guys plus China. So realistically, if Eric Bischoff wanted to, you know, have his guys go out there and just kick their asses, I assume they would have been able to do that. It's not like we know that, you know, Billy Gunn is a notorious tough guy or anything. Yeah. You know, what, you could send Ming out there. He'd kill all five of them himself. Yeah, that guy was a scary fucker. Uh, this is, you know, this is also as as a kid really interesting too because there was there was a chance where you thought, oh, what happens if if they go up there, and out comes like Disco Inferno and the fucking NWO, <laughs> and we start having like a full on brawl, and of course as an adult you're just like that that can't happen. They they have contracts. They're also not really anywhere near WCW right now. <laughs> this is all yeah. kind of staged, uh, and on top of that, you know, like yeah, a, a lot of those guys all know each other. Even though they work for different companies, they a lot of them were friends. Obviously, we know the 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 click. You know, they they were pretty close as well. It's surprisingly referenced here quite a bit with Triple H and and X Pac, which was was really refreshing. Yeah, it was it was kind of monumental at the time, and we've we've come a, a little full circle where now WWE has come back to referencing other organizations as long as they have kind of a working deal with them. As they, right. they they reference New Japan and Evolve and things like that, and we and they're, they're openly they, they've openly sort of referenced the Bullet Club mm-hmm. on air these days. They haven't called them the Bullet Club, but it's they've referenced like, oh, Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson. They know AJ Styles from the past, yeah, and uh, you know that's kind of been abandoned. But I mean, they're flat out alluding to an organization that was formed within another company, yeah. We we came we came a long way from when when Jericho came in and the Radicals came in directly referencing the fact hey we stole right. these guys from WCW to right. the to the point where we had years where if a guy came from outside of NXT or outside of of you know the the WWE brand that they were brand spanking new they're rookie wrestlers they've never wrestled before and oh my god right. they're they're just naturals to now we're we're back again to oh they've had all this time on the indies even though we're not going to reference specific indies and oh the, this guy has made it big over here we legitimately had Finn Balor come out and they're they're listing off the championships that he's won yeah. and that's that's something that like i said here we 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 we've seen it but there was such a long period of time in between that it was no, don't don't talk about, don't don't pretend that you even know each other. I know you right. guys were a tag team on the Indies for years. You don't know each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> also, we we do get a couple of backhanded, you know, TNA compliment, or we get a couple of of TNA references without actually saying TNA. AJ Styles actually just made a made a reference to they were in where were they? They were in Orlando, I thought. And he made a reference to the people of Orlando not being very smart. I know from experience. He's <laughs> like, oh, he's talking about TNA. So, nudge, nudge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 very it's really weird to see. And this was kind of 
you know, at the time we were very, we were still very heavy into the kayfabe rules on things where wrestlers had to be their characters outside of the ring and stuff like that. Right. So seeing this was, was really kind of crazy where it was like, oh, we're actually referencing the fact that, and considering that Triple H had 18 months of being dropped down to the mid card because of the fact that he was part of the curtain call. Right. To see him now be the one breaking kayfabe and calling out that he wants to to free some of his friends from wcw really strange but also really really monumental for the business absolutely i i think the segments still hold up really well and uh yeah a huge a huge turning point i guess you could maybe not turning point but a huge moment certainly for the monday night war when you're oh well they're, i mean they're openly referencing an actual monday night war on this show but yeah i mean i, I thought it was uh at the time blew my mind Mm -hmm. and i expected there would be some sort of rebuttal from wcw and what actually happens with wcw is pretty goddamn lame i don't know if you remember how it goes down but basically eric bischoff says you know oh you sent your guys to the arena but vince mcmahon you know you want me you want a piece of me and then like bischoff challenges him to a match at the pay-per-view which obviously there's zero chance vince mcmahon would ever have shown up so it's like that was WCW's rebuttal was Eric Bischoff challenging Vince McMahon to a yeah. match that was never going to happen. So it just kind of shows you where both organizations were at that time. One appeared to be a little bit clueless and the other was really, you know, starting to become much more edgy, much more entertaining. And uh, ultimately, I think uh, that's possibly why one of the companies won and one of them lost. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, and that's... That's the kind of funny part of this is, you know, WCW was was straight whooping WWE for a long time because of just the pure wrestling on a show. Right. And w- WWE wound up retaking them thanks to their storylines and, yeah. and the characters. So really interesting to see the kind of um, kind of change over here. This is when we really get into the entertainment faction of wrestling. And thankfully, we move away from the, the straight brawling wrestling and you know even even though we had the cruiserweights on wcw and that was kind of a monumental thing you know we get them coming over to wwe and we also get to like i said with with the character development we get a lot more of the the edgy storylines where the, at the at this point the nwo is is going to start becoming a little bloated and uh that's kind of the that's kind of the signaling the death of wcw when it was like oh we've got nothing for you ah we'll just throw your ass in nwo that's fine yeah and and that that really was where i think people started getting really bored of the storylines where the writing just wasn't there anymore for wcw and you had some really good segments and, and some really good storylines and of course obviously the the stone cold versus mr mcmahon storyline <laughs> is is one of the biggest ones and, and surprisingly goes for an incredibly long time and still remains fresh yeah, for sure. So yeah, DX invading WSW, awesome stuff. The one final note I'll put on the invasion part is that when they come back from that final segment, Jim Ross and Michael Cole are asking why DX has to resort to antics like this. So they're still playing it up as though DX are heels, but I think mm-hmm. it's safe to say that's not going to last much longer. I mean, when you take the fight to your hated competitor without backing down, that's that's pretty babyface. But you know, as of right now, they're still still calling them heels yeah we're we're still not quite into that like it's okay to be an edgy heel it's okay to be a funny heel kind of moment right um where these guys are just going straight with the comedy on it and this is this is really when you start getting the anti-hero coming up obviously stone cold is very heavily into that mm-hmm. um but yeah the, the playing it off as like oh this is dx and they're they're heels and and oh they're they're going against the company's wishes 
pretty soon going against the company's wishes is going to be the thing that every fan wants you to do. So Exactly. <laughs> so after that, we cut to the ring where my favorite character, Tennessee Lee, has a microphone. He introduces us to Jeff Jarrett, who now has his own pyro setup with the letters JJ shooting off sparks. His opponent tonight will be Bradshaw. And for those of you scoring at home, yes, JBL is still wearing leather chaps and rocking a ridiculous horseshoe mustache. Oh, now, my God. I have, uh, I have written here first, who the fuck is Tennessee Lee? <laughs> He's fucking amazing is who he is. <laughs> and second, I have Bradshaw looks as ridiculous as his commentary is today. Oh, uh, <laughs> well played. That that mustache, man. Let, oh. let, let, we can talk all we want about his outfit. It's the mustache. That, yeah. What is going on with that, dude? I have no idea. I mean, I guess it's uh, he he has been, well, up until like months ago, he was in the Blackjacks and they had their signature mustaches, him and Wyndham. But they haven't been a tag team for like three months now, at least. So he doesn't have to keep rocking it. Also, I don't know. In this match, was he also still rocking the tights that say BJ on the ass? I think I would have remembered that. So oh, okay. I, th- I think he is, I mean, it's either straight black or it's just a, it's some kind of design. But I, I would have remembered BJ for sure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we mm-hmm. all? And there's actually a bit of history here for you, by the way. So during the match, Michael Cole tells us that Bradshaw now calls his finisher the clothesline from hell when it had previously been referred to as the lariat so be sure to mark april 27th on your calendars as the anniversary of that nickname it doesn't make sense right now that is called that because he's not he's not a, not a, a part of the the acolytes yet right because that makes a lot more sense for it then to be called the clothesline from hell it makes more sense for a guy still wearing chaps to call it a lariat absolutely yeah but whatever. But maybe. Well, again, maybe it's foreshadowing. Maybe he was always trying to tell us he was going to join up with the Undertaker. Oh, yeah. We just never read between the lines. That's right. Yeah. Like but, he was. Uh, he was just like, "This is what people wear in hell, right?" Ashes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so uh, we have Bradshaw versus Jeff Jarrett. I feel like this should be a pretty good. Ma- oh wait, never mind. It's already over because <laughs> Club Kamikaze runs into the ring shortly after it begins and ambushes Bradshaw for the second week in a row. Once again, Funaki and Teo hold JBL down while Dick Togo comes off the top rope with a senton splash. And this time, there is a fourth man cheering them on who is wearing a business suit and a mask to cover his face. WWF light heavyweight champion Taka Michinoku then runs out from backstage to try and help out, and he knocks the masked man to the canvas, which results in his mask falling off. He quickly puts it back on, but I was able to tell that the man was none other than, spoiler, Yusuke Yamaguchi, a.k.a. Yamaguchi-san, who will soon take part in what I believe is one of the most unintentionally hilarious moments in WWF history. Stay tuned for that. (laughs) Getting back to the beatdown, Taka gets some offense in, but then Club Kamikaze takes control and hits him with what looks like a slower version of a 3D. The not-so-mysterious masked man then tells them to flee, so they run backstage as Jim Ross wonders who the fourth man was. Troy, what were your thoughts on the Jarrett Bradshaw match and the subsequent club kamikaze run-in? Well, I didn't see any planes, so <laughs> that was that was a weird one thing. That was the first thing that I noticed. Yep, they, they were thing, all still alive at the end of the second. Yeah, yep, that was the other thing I noticed, too, was uh, if you had a, a, a club that specifically had kamikazes in it, that's going to be a short-lived club, man. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett looks as ridiculous as ever. And it's it's because of things like this, him him doing the country music gimmick, him getting uh, te- teamed up with Tennessee Lee, 
and him wearing that outfit that he spends the rest of his career trying to convince people he's a main event talent. Yeah. Hey, well, he obviously so, <laughs> convinces Vince Russo. Yeah, well, yeah, it's not very hard. Um, <laughs> and this is this is another one of those cases where you look at a guy like Bradshaw, and you really realize that if you look at the mid card talent that we have now. There's hope for guys like Tyler Breeze that they could eventually be, be WWE champion. That's true. Although because... I will say, I will say on that note though, this Bradshaw is still, I think, six years away from getting a main event run at this point. So Tyler Breeze, just keep hanging in there. You know, give it another, I yeah. don't know, four or five years, and may, maybe you'll sniff the main event scene. Yeah, maybe. You never know. Hey, well, you know what? You, uh, your buddy Fandango here just just had a match against Randy Orton. So oh. Any anything can happen, man. Um, but yeah, uh, Bradshaw looks ridiculous and will continue to look ridiculous and continue to be nothing but a joke. My favorite, of course, is when he obviously the APA was was a big part of it, but it was it's still kind of crazy to this day that that Bradshaw eventually becomes JBL and eventually is a WWE champion and yeah. a Hall of Famer. Yeah, um, especially when you look at him here, and then when you look at him in the APA. Um, but uh, you know, with the APA. Um, I have two member, two two distinct memories of the APA. One was the time that I wore my APA shirt to school and I had to turn it inside out. Was it the always pounding ass shirt? No, it was the don't take this ass pun- uh, ass whipping personally. Oh, okay. The second is the fact that always pounding ass is <laughs> something that existed. Yeah. I even at the time as a kid, I understood that I there was no way I would buy the shirt because <laughs> <laughs> that is not something that you want to. Uh, boast about really especially yeah. when especially when it's two guys wearing that shirt yeah spending a considerable amount of time in a dark room together yeah not that there's anything wrong with that but and this was a very this was that. a very homophobic time for wrestling so i mean it's it seems like uh it, it probably wouldn't have been a big seller this is this is the time that you you would conceivably be able to hear at least four different people at some point in time throughout the night scream faggot at Goldust. Oh, that so that comes in two weeks actually because there's a segment in two weeks where you can literally there's a guy loudly yelling that at him when he's uh, well spoiler alert he's he's kind of getting rid of the Goldust character about uh, mm-hmm. two episodes from now and there, you can really hear a guy yelling that at him throughout the entire segment like i i need to let him know that this is what i think of him it's yeah. it's very it's very 1998 he's got a ball gag in his mouth that means he's gay yeah, right <laughs> even though he's with luna but i mean still whatever yeah. he also at this time is he married to terry reynolds or does that come later i think that's already over oh okay yeah. well the guy was married to a, a WWE, let's call her Diva at this point, because that's pretty much what these women are. Uh, <laughs> not that she was incredibly good looking, but, you know, for the time, she's still Terry Reynolds. Sure. So. And he, she was his valet for like two years before this. So, I mean, mm-hmm. even though he was acting, you know, androgynous, I think there was actually one time on the show where like, I think it's Jerry Lawler. Who's basically heckling Goldust, being like, "Oh, I thought you, I thought you were gay," and then he says he's not, and then he gets a huge cheer from the crowd, like, "Oh yeah, great, good job, yay, yeah, you're not gay, okay, great." Yeah, okay. Uh, it was, it was a different time, folks. It was, mm. it was a different time. Yeah, that's another thing too. Is the, the Goldust character was kind of way before its its time. Obviously, it's oh, yeah. it's not it's nothing like what we have now for Goldust, where it's just a guy in face paint, right? A weird guy. And, 
Yeah, just a, a a weird older guy. But on top of that, like a lot of things he does, not much of it was really gay. I would think. I mean, he was he, he was supposed to be kind of like a sexual deviant a little bit, and maybe kind of a kind of a creep, kind of into things that were kind of taboo. But I don't think there was ever a whole lot of time. I mean, he did a lot of kind of you know obviously the kissing of Razor Ramon and yeah. uh, the drawing the, the, the heart hit- on his chest. Mm-hmm. And and the hitting on Booker T comes later as oh, well. Oh my god, that's that's pretty amazingly funny though. Yeah. That, that's one of my all time favorite product placement moments. Where you're talking about that, where they're at Seven Eleven, and he's like, "If you give me a bite of your Slurpee, I'll give you a bite of my wiener." Yeah, or, or whatever it is. Yeah, good times. But to, to me, I never took it as Goldust was being gay. I just took it as he was just he just really liked to make people uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And it, you, at the whole time, you're just like, yeah, he's just screwing with these people. He's he's actively searching out homophobes and trying to ruin her day. <laughs> there you go. Basically, it's the baggage you're bringing to these matches. It's not yeah. him. It's you. So, you know, it's your deal, pal. Mm-hmm. I was just really hungry. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I just wanted a hot dog. <laughs> but anyway, so after anyway. a quick commercial break. Jim Ross pimps the upcoming Over the Edge pay-per-view, and before you say anything, no, it's not that Over the Edge pay-per-view, but I (laughs) would be remiss. That's next year. That's next year. (laughs) But I would be remiss if I didn't note that the show will be taking place in Milwaukee at the Wisconsin Center Arena. So, Troy, as a Wisconsin native, did you ever manage to make the trip to that venue? Yes, I did. Oh, what, what did you see? I watched a WCW house show. Nice. Yes, they they did actually come. That, I... If I remember correctly, and my brain is pretty rattled, um, I believe that was the time that we actually had to see uh, Ric Flair's old naked ass. Oh, God. As, as somebody rolled him up and he didn't exactly yeah. fall down. He did that a couple times in the WWE, too, where he was like yeah. way past the age when that should have been happening. Yeah. But yeah, it was. I, I have some, some particular memories of it uh, going there, uh, as well as you know the, the Bradley Center in, in later years, which was you know what kind of replaces the... The Wisconsin Center, there. right? The Bradley Center is the one. Is that where the Bucks play now? Yeah, the, which is now the BMO Harris Bradley Center, and soon to be renovated, torn down, torn oh. down, and replaced is what it's going to be in in about a year's time. So, because it's it's uh, pretty pretty fucking terrible. So, <laughs> <laughs> largely considered the worst arena in the NBA. Oh so. no, I did not realize that. Yeah, it's it, we we were we were pretty close to losing the Bucks team if they didn't come to an agreement on a new stadium. So the uh, the fine people in Brown County down in in Milwaukee there are not incredibly happy with the fact they got a considerable tax boost that yeah. they have to pay now. So yeah. um, thankfully, not my problem up here in northern Wisconsin. There you go. And of course, you were you are from Manitowoc County, and you are the one who uh, who framed Stephen Avery for murder, I believe, as well, right? Okay, sorry, sorry. I wasn't supposed to reveal that. Uh, I'll, I already, I'll edit that I already out. took out. I already took out your other friend. Don't make me take you out too. Yeah. Oh. Fair enough. Okay. All right. So anyway, we go backstage <laughs> where Kevin Kelly is trying to get a word with Dude Love. Kevin says the dude can't be too happy about Vince McMahon's announcement that Steve Austin is not being stripped of the title. To which Foley says he wanted me to wear tie dye. I wore tie dye. He wanted me to beat Austin. I beat Austin. And then he angrily walks away. However, Vince is walking by and asks Foley if he is looking for him. Vince says Foley better not screw him. And the boss starts getting nervous because Foley is revealing too much information about their arrangement on camera, which leads to a classic Vince McMahon outburst. This is not what we talked about. 
this is not the way things are supposed to go down. You saw the match. Well, Why aren't I the contender? Are trying to scare I said, cut, the bill. I said cut, we should be no cut, cut, cut that damn Get that mic out of my face. It's my mic. I own that mic. I own that camera. Cut it off. Looking back at the stuff, I, I completely forgot how many kayfabe break moments we had. Yeah. Here, here, you, here you have Mick Foley just laying it on the line like, hey, this this whole character is Vince McMahon's idea. And, yep. And I'm I'm Mick Foley. Yep. And then I, I, will, I just love the Vince outburst where he's like, I own that mic. I own that camera. <laughs> I think it's like it's one of the first times we actually get Vince McMahon yelling. It's, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Spoiler alert. There's more to come of that. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's the first. It will not be the last. And actually, speaking of first, we actually get a first in the next segment. I don't know if you realize this. So Triple H, X-Pac, and China come to the ring, actually in the arena now, with Hunter and Waltman still dressed in their military fatigues. And as if this night couldn't possibly be any more historic, Troy, this was the very first instance of Triple H doing his classic pre-match introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for your main event of the evening. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hampton, I said, are you ready? Then, for the thousands here in attendance tonight and for the millions watching at home on TV, oh, let's get ready to suck First of all, the DX theme, still one of the best themes of all time. Totally. Second, this gets much better. This was this was really cool, but give it a couple of weeks and he starts hitting his stride on that and <laughs> and this is this is one of the best intros him and and obviously the new age outlaws intros you know th- this is the stuff that paves the way for a lot of like the enzo and big cast stuff that we get now yeah. uh, um and the new day and things like that. This was kind of monumental in terms of you didn't really have characters that did this you didn't really have it beforehand where guys would come out and they would have these kind of spiels that they go on that were so over you'd get some catchphrases stuff like that and we still try to do it to this day but this whole thing you have just the in a couple of weeks you have the entire audience just going word for word along with this intro yep and i remember we uh, we would on long car rides. We would sit there. Me and my sister would go back and forth and do the the DX <laughs> intro with her with her doing the Billy Gun part, me doing the Road Dog parts, and then of course uh, um, both of us doing the Triple H part of the as well. Nice. And of course, actually, on on that same note, it's also another dig at WCW because a, a little backstory on this oft used catchphrase. Around this time, WCW was frequently paying hefty sums of money to hire boxing ring announcer Michael <laughs> Buffer because they wanted to give their marquee matches that big fight feel. Buffer was obviously famous for his pre-match intros where he would say, let's get ready to rumble. And he had actually been used for two introductions on Nitro one week prior, having done the honors for the Hulk Hogan versus Randy Savage and Goldberg versus Raven matches. So clearly... This was fresh in Triple H's mind. And also, for the record, even though he was being paid a crapload of money for two minutes of work, Buffer wasn't exactly flawless with his announcements. Tonight, here in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, a special heavyweight eliminator match. The winner of this match will go on to Super Brawl on Sunday, February 21st, to face the reigning United States heavyweight champion, Brett Hitman Clark. 
he never looked like he was having any fun. <laughs> yeah, no, he and, he didn't care. I don't think he no. was just there. He was there to collect the paycheck. Yeah, he really was. And then his his was his brother, I think, comes later. Yes, Bruce uh, Bruce Buffer. Yeah, and he really phones it in. Where you're just like, he these guys do not give a shit where they are. But that's <laughs> that's the beauty of when Triple H does it. Is not only is it here's just a a wrestler who can do something that they're paying a lot of money for a guy to show up for. <laughs> but it's also more over, and obviously with, with the whole WBF you know, slant on it with the let's get ready to suck it. And, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the just the thousands of attendants and the millions watching around, he does it just perfect. You know, he's got he's got the tone down and everything like that. I, I, I quite enjoy this intro. This also will mark the, one of the first times that JR that I caught it for the night does something that makes no fucking sense. What would that be? Well, we have triple H come out. He started, he does his whole, whole, ins, whole spiel on that. And JR says, I don't see DX on my agenda, <laughs> but, but the next match is the new age outlaws versus DOA. Right. So right. Obviously they're on the agenda. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming he's meaning triple H coming out, but that still doesn't make right. any sense because it's like, well, if the New Age Outlaws are coming out, why wouldn't you think that DX would come out with it? Right, exactly. And that actually provides a good segue. So Triple H introduces your WWF Tag Team Champions, the New Age Outlaws, and they head to the ring riding mini scooters as a way of <laughs> mocking the Disciples of Apocalypse because they are now about to face Skull and 8-Ball in a non-title match. Now, interestingly, all three members of DOA walk to the ring without riding their motorcycles. So are we to assume that they <laughs> trashed their bikes just because DX urinated on them? I mean, don't get me wrong. It would suck to have someone piss on your motorcycle, but why would you get rid of the damn thing? Just wash it off and move on. Our, our Kelly's conquests are doing just fine. You'll be fine, mm. too. Yeah. this The uh, the riding of the scooters was funny, but then it makes no fucking sense if they don't come out directly afterwards with motorcycles. Right. Or if, if they were smart, DOA would have came out first on the motorcycles. There you go. And it would have been funnier to watch the New Age Outlaws than come out on scooters. But then, of course, you wouldn't have the uh, awesome Triple H intro. But yeah, it was it, it was definitely kind of weird. I I took it more as you know, if 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 this was the first time you were watching this and you didn't know that DOA came out on motorcycles, you'd be like, okay, why are they riding scooters? Yeah. Oh, okay, because they're 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 fighting bikers. Okay, that's funny. Oh, I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and DOA may not have their motorcycles, but they do have some backup. LOD 2000, who have apparently not been suspended for attempting to murder an innocent referee one night prior. That's right. Hey, look at Sunny. <laughs> and Sunny, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I sadly beat off to you. Yeah, well, she was still looking really good around this time. Yeah, that's true. That's the, true. That no, I'm, thing I'm, I'm, she I'm, wears, I'm, that, that skirt that she wears, I don't even know what the hell that is. It's basically like yeah. duct tape with some like strands beneath it, and it covers her ass, but not quite. It's Yeah, it's pretty, mm. it's pretty good. Yeah, and then we get a really odd camera cut to the road dog handing his helmet to the timekeeper. So that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, was that supposed to be going somewhere? Or, or nope, no, he's just he's just handing him a shit. Just right. handing it off. Just handing let's, it off. Let's get on to the match. <laughs> yeah, and as for that match, the, the match was nothing special, but it did have a rather interesting result, I would say. So Billy Gunn hit Skull with a pile driver, but the referee got distracted by DX outside of the ring while the ref's back was turned. 8-Ball rolled Skull out of the ring behind Billy's back and took his place. Billy then covered him as the referee turned around, but 8-Ball instead reversed the pinfall 
and pinned Mr. Ass for the clean three count. So apparently... Twin magic, Michael. That's exactly what I was just going to say. <laughs> DOA were the originators of the effective strategy we now know as twin magic. And I must say, I remember almost everything that relates to DX invading WCW, but I damn sure did not recall the outlaws jobbing cleanly to DOA the very same night of the invasion. Troy, what did you think of the of the match? Uh, the match was what it was. We're still sort of in that kind of golden age of tag teams. I mean, you saying that we had a like sixteen tag team tournament or or, or thing. I couldn't believe we yeah. don't have sixteen tag teams nowadays. But. Well, some some of them were thrown together. Like literally, yeah. there was Steve Blackman and Flash Funk. Mm-hmm. So that was a one night only. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it's, uh, it's interesting to see that we still do have a lot of the, the old school tag team action here, some tandem moves and things like that, which, which I love. It's something that, you know, nowadays really only American Alpha do and, and Enzo and Big Cass do where they do the kind of tandem moves and double team moves. Mm-hmm. The club does a little bit too. Um, but yeah, we're, the new age outlaws are not quite hitting their stride yet. They still got, got a little bit of ways to go. And, uh, the other thing I never understood was why is, why was Billy Gunn the only guy in DX to not wear black and green all the time? Yeah, that's a good point. He just kind of wears like his black tights or whatever, right? He, he when he becomes Mr. Ass, he wears a variety of different colors. Sure, sure. Um, he's got, you know, yellow, purple, and stuff like that. There was only a couple times where he would actually wear like bright green, which made sense, like the rest of them. But, I mean, everyone else in the in the group, including Triple H, completely changed their attire to match the kind, the kind of color scheme, except Billy Gunn. Yeah. Maybe his heart was never truly in it. Maybe not. No, he was just thinking someday. Yeah. Someday, some someday, I'll be the one Billy Gun. That's right. And people will want to see me Absolutely. get fired. Yeah, right. <laughs> someday, I'll be married to a gay dude on <laughs> on television. Oh yeah, that's something that happened. Someday, someday, I will lose my job as a trainer because for whatever reason, I'm trying to be a bodybuilder right. and get pop pop for PEDs. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Uh, poor so, Billy Boy. Poor indeed. Yeah, he had a pretty good run for the most part. Yeah. But, uh, so next up, we have The Undertaker going one-on-one against, of all people, Barry Windham. So fun fact, this <laughs> is The Undertaker's first televised match on Monday Night Raw since he faced The Rock on the December 22nd episode of the show, which I covered in the very first episode of this podcast. So that's four whole months without an Undertaker match on Raw. So Troy, I hope you enjoyed it. Not that there was a lot to enjoy. Yeah, so first of all, I never understood why they broke this into two different shows. Because yeah, now, now we're yeah. now we're in the war zone. There you go. That's right. Um, second, poor poor Barry Windham. <laughs> poor <laughs> all, overweight cowboy. Yeah, already in the ring, Barry Windham. Yep. Bleach blonde a, cowboy. Yeah, and it's a squash match. And for whatever reason, during the during this uh, this short contest, the Undertaker is referred to as the Dragon. Which yeah, he referred was... to himself as the dragon, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I also have a note here. Wait, where did Michael Cole go? <laughs> they... Yeah, they, they switch him out for Jerry Lawler when, yeah. The new, yeah, when the new hour starts, yep. Yeah, I was just like, I'm like, wait, that, that doesn't sound like Michael Cole anymore. That's Jerry Lawler. What happened? And I was like, well, maybe they went to a three-man booth. And I was like, nope, nope, he's just, he just disappeared. Just disappears, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, well, I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Yeah. Michael Cole is garbage nowadays. He is extra garbage here yeah maybe they had an innate rivalry even back then where like Lawler and Cole were at each other's throats and somebody backstage was like someday I think we can get a Wrestlemania match out of this Mm -hmm. I think we can do it maybe but yes uh, so basically 
I should say Taker's entrance ends up lasting quite a bit longer than the actual match, and this wasn't even one of those lengthy Taker entrances that we've come to expect now. This was actually pretty brief for him, but basically he hit Wyndham with a chokeslam and a tombstone to pick up the victory in roughly one minute. After the match, Taker grabs a mic and says that last night was not the end of his feud with Kane, but rather it was just the beginning. He then tells Kane to come to the ring right now so they can finish their rivalry tonight. Finish it? He just said it was the beginning. (laughs) And Taker says he will not leave the ring until he shows up. So after a commercial break and the Casterol GTX Slam of the Week, Kane and Paul Bearer do indeed emerge at the top of the ramp with Kane sporting a bandage over the arm that The Undertaker set on fire last night. Bearer says there needs to be a truce between the two brothers, and then he proceeds to reveal some rather unexpected information. It's got to stop, damn it! Last night, I tasted my own blood as it ran down my face. And when I looked up, I saw Cain once again on fire! I can smell the flesh! I can see his clothing! I can see the pain in his eyes! Don't you understand? It was my son whose hand was on fire! Yes, that's right. Kane is actually Paul Bearer's son. What? What? For some reason, we then cut straight to commercial after he says that. And when we come back, Jerry Lawler helpfully spells out for us that if Kane is Bearer's <laughs> son, yeah, that must mean that Paul Bearer had sex with The Undertaker's mother. There's a pleasant visual for you, huh? So, Troy, this... what did you think about this uh, this revelation? It was, it was like watching a, a, a soap opera. And not just because of the whole like reveal, but but the explanation afterwards. Well, wait, if if Paul Bearer, who we know for a fact is the Undertaker's father, <laughs> is also the father of Cain, does that means? Hold on a second. That means they're brothers. Oh my god! Oh, oh my god! Who can even fathom? My gosh. Yeah. I actually, in my head, I thought this revelation had already happened up to this point. <laughs> but uh, I was like, oh, no, this is this is the moment when it happens. This is when they reveal that Paul Bear was actually the one who uh, who fathered Cain. So, yeah, mm-hmm. now we know. Now we know they actually are the brothers of destruction. And, uh, yeah, so there, there's that. I, uh, I, I love the fact that of, of all the fake brothers that we've had throughout the years, this is the one that people still that WWE still right. maintains as being real. Exactly, like, Edge and Christian, not brothers, not brothers. Taker and Kane, still brothers. Yeah. Interesting story with the Edge and Christian thing is that obviously when they came in, they were they were supposed to be brothers. Vince McMahon didn't actually realize they were not brothers. Oh really? Yes. I so, I totally believe that. Yeah. One when, when it was finally Edge who told him like, no, we're we're not brothers. And that's why they started to transition into now they're just good friends. Oh, so that was so. like five years into their run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was five five years, and so uh, finally somebody had to tell them like they're not really brothers, man. I I know that they look alike, but they're not brothers at all. Yeah, 
this is also the weird weird part where like you know they, they we go to commercial and when we come back obviously we're into something else like what what happens after that revelation right. like they just walk away and like and digger just kind of like I gotta go think on this. And yeah, he just like wanders away. <laughs> I, I guess I'll leave. Uh, my I my guess. work here is done. <laughs> okay, well, um, that, that's fine. I, I mean, maybe if someone could explain to me what that actually means. I mean, you're you're, you're telling me that you're his dad. I mean, are are we cousins? Like twice you know, removed? What? <laughs> you know what? I'm just gonna go carve a black <laughs> crucifix into my hand and. Uh... I got I got to pose for some pictures. Uh, somebody give me some mascara that I can put on my hand. Yeah. So we then go backstage where Kevin Kelly is with Luna Vachon and the artist formerly known as Goldust, who is once again dressed as Goldust. Goldust. Clearly not grasping the gimmick. So Goldust starts to tell us he would make an excellent WWF champion, but then he gets jumped by Dude Love, who is yelling, that's my shot, as he beats on him. Ah, the WWF in April of 98, where your two top contenders for the world title are a couple of weirdos who dress in funny costumes. (laughs) Good times. And everyone was upset about Daniel Bryan facing Kane after he won the championship. <laughs> yeah. Hey, remember when Goldust and Mick Foley were on WWF television? Oh, man, that's... Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, God, what's going on? Also, my my, uh, my favorite note that I have here is, uh, who would have thought that fat Goldust would be from 1998 while ripped Goldust is from 2016? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I feel like when he first came back, whenever that wasn't like, oh, eight or oh, nine, he was pretty... He was in like the best shape of his life at that point. Yeah, he was for finally cleaning up. Yeah, he he was, and also, I mean, the the suit hides it a lot. the The first time I noticed was they actually released a video of him doing the the paint of the gold dust, and he was shirtless. And wow. I was like, "Holy shit! Like, what happened to gold dust?" <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he should wrestle without the shirt now and just come hey, up paint, paint himself in gold. There you go. Mm-hmm. So we then cut back to the arena where Triple H, X Pac, and China are once again heading to the ring. Hunter angrily grabs a mic and says he should be on top of the world, but what happened earlier tonight in the Outlaws match pissed him off. He then says he will put the European title on the line right now against anyone in DOA. So this causes Skull to emerge from backstage and start talking some trash, but before he can make it to the ring, a business suit wearing Dan the Beast Severn runs past him to try and take the title shot for himself as Jim Cornette continuously gets in his way and tries to talk him out of it for some reason. Severn enters the ring and starts unbuttoning his shirt, but Cornette keeps telling him not to fight Triple H because I guess his title belt collection is already large enough. Who knows? Cornette tries to dissuade Severn by slapping him in the face, but that proves to be a big mistake. Severn hip-tosses Cornette, then puts him in an arm bar while simultaneously choking him, and we go to commercial with the hold still locked in. When we come back, we see footage of an injured Cornette being carried off, and apparently that European title match will not take place after all. That actually bums me out because I would have liked to have seen a Triple H-Dan Severn match, but I suppose life just can't be that awesome. Troy, what are your thoughts? This didn't make any sense. No, it didn't. Why, if, if Cornette... Cornet's all about the championships, and all of a sudden he's like, "No, don't fight Triple H." Like, it it would have been different if it would have been like, "We want DOA to come out here and fight all three of us," and Dan Severn came out and he's like, "No, I'll fight all three of you." Right. That makes that makes more sense. But him to try to get a legit title shot, yeah, was was, was like, Cornet basically being like, "No, no, this title is below you. Don't don't <laughs> go for this title." Yeah, this is like, look, it's it's already below Triple H, and <laughs> yeah, so this this is like. All right, I guess I guess Dan Severin is is done with Jim Cornette now, which is good because then we get a little less Jim Cornette. 
but then Dan Severn still doesn't really do anything. Yeah, ever, I, I so. guess I guess this is a face turn for him. I don't recall because I barely remember anything about Dan Severn's run in the WWF, but I guess maybe this is him turning face only one month into his debut in the company mm-hmm. when he came in as like super badass heel. Yeah. But maybe they all want you, to go another way. All you need to remember about Dan Severn is that mustache. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Glorious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So we then go backstage where Michael Cole was interviewing an irate Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hey, there's Michael Cole. Yeah, oh, there he is. There he goes. We found him. Yeah. So Austin says he has no problem defending the title every night and potentially losing fair and square, but Vince McMahon better not screw him or he'll beat his ass. He then sprays beer on Cole and storms off, which I think is the appropriate reaction anytime someone is forced to speak with Michael Cole. That is true. Also, Stone Cold is sweating, but he hasn't actually done anything yet. Yeah. It's because he's been knocking shit over backstage all night, (laughs) including easels. That's good cardio. That's right. So next up, we get another Val Venus vignette. Oh, boy. This time, time he's driving a car while a young lady ducks below the camera frame to, (laughs) quote, look for the keys, wink, wink. He tells us he is on the set of his latest movie, The Big Valboski, which is amusing because we now know he will later end up using that name to refer to as Johnson. Mm-hmm. And on that note, should Val Venus be considered the first Big Lebowski superfan? I mean, that movie had just come out on March 6th, about a month and a half before this episode of Raw, and it was not initially a hit at all, debuting at number six at the box office, ultimately only grossing about $17 million. So obviously it would later go on to have a huge cult following because it's awesome. But people were not buzzing about that movie around this time, so in retrospect... I think we should thank Val Venus for bringing so much attention to an amazing movie, which could have otherwise been forgotten. What do you think, Troy? I would agree. Um, I also think that, uh, well, Dude Love's got a little bit of it. He he makes a couple of references to it, too. Uh, the Duderino and things like that. He basically is yeah, he the dude. He, he is looks dude, exactly yeah. like the dude, essentially. Yeah. yeah. This <laughs> I have a couple things about this segment. <laughs> oh, please. Um, first... It is incredibly funny to hear Val Vols- I called him Val Volsky. Uh, <laughs> to hear Val Venus go, I'm on the set of my new video flick. Yeah, yeah. It's great to hear video flick. Also, why would that lady be okay sucking Val off with while well, he's talking to a camera crew? Yeah. <laughs> but she's used to it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess so. I guess so. And I also have noted here that this is a very subtle gimmick. Very subtle. Yes. Very subtle. Also, I, I didn't realize, I didn't remember from these vignettes how skeevy he comes across in these vignettes, if that makes any sense. It's kind of like, it, it's just kind of gross at times. Mm-hmm. The way, like, ugh, I, I don't know. It's it's yeah. tough to it's tough to pinpoint, but just go ahead and watch some of these early Val Venus vignettes, and then you'll, you'll probably need a shower after the second yeah. one. It's just kind of like, yeah. Because he also has really bad hair in this segment. Yeah. Um, he, he It obviously looks better once he's got a little bit longer. And then obviously when he when he shaves his head too, he looks really good. But yeah, it's uh, his his hair looks kind of messed up. It, the The whole appeal of Val is is his physique, and he's wearing a full outfit, which doesn't make a lot of sense if he's talking about being on the set of his video flick. Right. He should he should probably be not wearing anything, and that's you know. But the funny thing is, I I liked Val Venus a lot when I was a kid. Uh, he was. He was a funny character. He actually, he was actually really decent on the mic. Um, his this this whole character is just straight. This this is like this is Attitude Era one hundred and one right here. Is if if somebody asks you what's so great about the Attitude Era, just show them a Val Venus promo and be like, "This was on this was on TV." Yeah, they actually did this. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, and 
So there you go. Val Venus on the set of the Big Valbowski. And actually, you know what? There is, I believe, a, a porno prominently featured in the movie The Big Lebowski. Hi. Hello. My new dispatcher says there's something wrong with Dinah Carver. Yeah, come on in. I'm not really sure exactly what's really wrong with the cable. That's why they sent me. I am an expert. The TV's in here. Oh, that's my friend Sherry. She just came over to use a shower. The story is ludicrous. My name is Carl. You should be an expert. You must be here to fix the cable. Lord, you can imagine where it goes from here. He fixes the cable? Ah, uh, classic. So up next, Mark Merrow heads to the ring, and you want to talk about questionable outfits. This outfit he's wearing is the ultimate questionable <laughs> endeavor, I think. He's wearing a t-shirt with cut-off sleeves, a do-rag, jean shorts, and sneakers with ankle-length socks poking out the top of them. I mention this because it caused me to compile a quick top five list. The top five most unfathomable wrestling... Un- unfathomable? Easy for me to say. Wrestling couples. So number five, Mark Merrow and Sable. Number four, The Miz and Maurice. Number three, Rusev and Lana. Congrats on the recent marriage, by the way. Number two, this one a bit of a sleeper, Tommy Dreamer and Beulah McGillicuddy. Mm -hmm. And number one, Billy Kidman and Tori Wilson. (laughs) I still don't know how that one happened. Would would you agree with that list? Um, Yeah, there's maybe a couple couple other ones that that might be able to go up there. Um, You know, we've got uh, Velvet Sky and Bubba Ray Dudley. Oh, good call, yeah. So that's... uh, um, I, I would go so far as to say Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella. Yeah, yeah. Although Daniel Bryan is pretty likable, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, we've got a couple other ones that we've known throughout the years. Um, you know, CM Punk's had some questionable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Maria Maria Canellis is a good pull, but uh, obviously AJ Lee and and her and him don't really seem kind of similar. But yeah, no, they don't. Um, but the, you know, CM Punk's a good looking dude. I think um, the great Kali and Gail Kim was a strange one. Yeah, that's that didn't sure. happen. I, that's that didn't yeah, happen. No, I, no, maybe no. it did. I don't know. Yeah, Melina and oh, and, and, and Johnny Nitro <laughs> and Johnny Nitro. Obviously, Taryn Terrell and John Cena is another good one too. Um, oh, just, did that happen? That that was a real one that happened. Yeah, which was Taryn Terrell. Um, she was Tiffany in TNA, uh, I think. Oh wow, I barely remember her. Yeah, she was. She was. Barely, she was in WWF or WWE for a while too. Yeah. Was that the one who was like Drew McIntyre's wife or something? Or I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That, that's the same check. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That okay. was that was Drew McIntyre's wife. Um, she got fired because of her stuff with Drew McIntyre, but she got de-pushed because John Cena broke up with her. So. Oh Jesus. Yeah. But yeah. Also, um, on on the subject here, does anyone know if Sable is actually still alive today? <laughs> I haven't seen her in quite some time. Yeah, nobody has. As far as we know, she could be be stuffed and mounted in Brock Lesnar's basement right now. Yeah, and you know what? Sable and and uh, Brock Lesnar are a pretty good, pretty good unfathomable wrestling couple as yeah. well. I still can't say unfathomable for some reason, yeah. but how yeah. how crazy is that as well? That uh, that Brock Lesnar convinced Sable to go and live with him in Minnesota. Yeah, in Saskatchewan, oh, actually, in the S- middle of yeah. nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. No, but nobody ever comes to visit him. He just goes out there and hunts, and she's just okay with it. Yeah, I think I heard uh, Paul Heyman in an interview say that uh, he, that Lesnar basically doesn't even have a cell phone. Yeah. He has to, or he doesn't have maybe he doesn't have a phone. Like he has to call him uh, on like a phone that's like at the end of his yard or something like that. It's something ridiculous, but yeah. So so good for Brock there. Yeah. Anywho, back to Raw. So basically, Mark Merrow grabs a mic and demands for Sable to come to the ring, and so she does. Mero says that Sable accomplished what she set out to do last night at Unforgiven. 
She humiliated him. Marrow says she lost because he was not in her corner, to which Sable replies that she liked the fact he wasn't in her corner. Sable says she knows the fans are going to love it when she finally puts Marrow in his place, so Marrow mockingly asks if Sable is going to beat him up, to which she responds, she's going to try. So all of a sudden, we are now privy to a conversation about spousal abuse. Mm. Yay? She says it's time for her to stand on her own two feet, and she then does indeed challenge Marrow to a match two weeks from now on Raw. Surely, it must be a coincidence that this will be the next time when Raw is live instead of pre-taped, so tune into that segment because you may get to see a man beat up his own wife. You also Yay. you also get to see the death of a career in one match. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> yep. I mean, and you can this... probably imagine which one of those people has the dead career. <laughs> right. Um this is also um segment number 2 that you would not see in 2016 WWE television. <laughs> yep. I'm going to challenge my wife to a match and potentially beat her up. We don't even do intergender matches anymore. We do we do mixed tag matches where it makes no sense for oh I'm I'm really hurt I got to tag in my partner because that means you're also going to have the other person come in. Those mixed tag matches never made much sense to me. Yeah, this is I like, feel oh, like the- I feel like the last quote unquote intergender match they had was remember a couple years ago in the lead up to Raw 1000 when Heath Slater was beating up Legends. Mm-hmm. And I think it was on Raw 1000 where they all came back and Ulita got the pinfall on him. Yeah. I think that may be the last time we saw an intergender match. Mm-hmm. Consult your history books, folks. Bring them out. So we then cut backstage where we see Vince McMahon talking to Gerald Briscoe and asking him to call the WWF title match right down the middle. This leads us into a commercial, and when we come back, Briscoe is walking to the ring, so that means it's time for our main event WWF Championship match, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus the artist formerly known as Goldust, who is dressed exactly as Goldust and has now gone back to using the Goldust theme song. (laughs) So before the match, Briscoe informs Austin of the rules and takes the WWF title from him. Vince McMahon then jogs to ringside, Briscoe hands him the belt, and Vince takes a seat at the timekeeper's table, so it appears we have a guest timekeeper now as well. Once the match gets underway, Briscoe begins by counting the falls at a pretty leisurely pace oh for both men. Oh my gosh, this was the but, slowest count I've ever seen. It <laughs> really was. But as you might expect, he eventually begins to speed up his count when Goldust attempts to pin Austin. So overall, the match was all right and went for about seven minutes, with Briscoe asserting his authority several times, including shoving Austin on a few occasions. Austin managed to hit Goldust with a Stone Gold Stunner, but when he went to pin him, Briscoe only counted to two and then stopped because he claimed he had something in his eye. While Austin protested, Dude Love ran into the ring and started beating on Stone Cold, but Briscoe refused to call for the disqualification. Austin and Foley started fighting outside the ring, and Briscoe got between them to break it up. Vince then got the idea to ambush Austin and attempt to hit him with the WWF title. However, Austin ducked, and Vince mistakenly hit Briscoe with the belt, knocking him to the ground and actually busting him open. I'm not sure if Briscoe did like a stealthy blade job there or if that was hard way, but kudos to him either way because you could briefly see a pool of blood forming under Uh, his head as he was lying on the ground. His skin must be made of tissue paper, man, because that's just... (laughs) Yeah, that that was a pretty weak shot. Yeah. So Austin then flipped Vince off and rolled into the ring with the belt to celebrate as his music hit, even though the match should not actually be over. In fact, since the referee is unable to call for the bell, I feel like the match probably should have a long way to go. But hey, it's the Attitude Era, and logic gets thrown out the window. 
we go off the air with Austin celebrating as Vince and Pat Patterson check on the wounded Gerald Briscoe. Troy, your thoughts on the main event? Surprisingly uh, interesting. I actually actually kind of enjoyed it. Actually, um, there, you know, some some really good selling from McMahon ringside. The uh, the couple of spots with with Briscoe not calling and not 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 doing the the count was really good too. With his, yeah. oh, I got something in mind. I got something. I also really enjoyed the fact that during this match, Jr. refers to McMahon as Vince McMahon, and Lawler calls him out and says, "You call him Mister McMahon." Yeah. And then not then not a minute later, Lawler forgets his own gimmick and calls him Vince McMahon. Oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> yeah, um, there's also this. This whole match is supposed to be that uh, Stone Cold can't touch Briscoe. He touches him about five or six different times during the match, <laughs> and uh, Briscoe proceeds to t- touch Austin a couple times too. But apparently, that's okay. So yeah, the the match itself was was interesting. It was nice to to give kind of Goldust a little bit of a of a push there to put him in the main event. But you knew obviously that. There was no possible way that this match was going to end in anything but what it was, uh, a big schmoz. He would just kind of, you know, we're already in the era of, of DQ finishes. And having set up this whole thing with being, you know, dude loves pissed off, McMahon's at ringside, Joe Briscoe's the ref, you knew that there was no way that this was going to end normally. Definitely. Yeah, entertaining main event. Again, the early days of them openly referencing Vince McMahon potentially screwing Austin out of the title. At this point, it's kind of, it's going a little bit more from, you know, suggesting he'll do it to, you know, kind of admitting that Vince really wants to do it, but not so much that it's ridiculously over the top as it will eventually end up getting. So it's kind of an early, it's an early snapshot of I guess you could say the uh, the maddening of the Vince McMahon character, yeah. where he he hasn't quite tipped over into the abyss, but uh, we we got a great glimpse of it earlier with that thing where he's doing the uh, I own that mic, I own that camera. You know, <laughs> it's 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 coming around, and pretty soon it will just be full on madness, oh, yeah. and it'll be fantastic. Yeah, overall, uh, pretty pretty solid main event. We got seven minutes of Austin and Goldust. Can't complain about that. And I'm sure we both have quite a few more thoughts on the show in, as a whole, and we'll get to those in just a bit. But for now, let's take it to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed them seeds back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. A freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been thugging. Vinny Paz got more hoes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas out of my fucking mind. It won't let me back in. Because I was down before the hype like Dusty Rhodes and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now the rockin' Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster pluckin'. Chickens when they pluckin'. Because WWF stands for women where we fuckin'. The ratings recap. So as you may recall, two weeks ago, Raw defeated Nitro in the ratings for the first time in 84 weeks, but then Nitro seized back the momentum last week by giving away a Hulk Hogan World Championship victory and a Goldberg U.S. title victory. So how did the ratings play out this week? Well, truthfully, it's not exactly fair to compare them. On this night, Nitro was airing in a far later time slot than usual because TNT was broadcasting two NBA playoff games at 7 o'clock and 9.30 respectively. So not only that, but instead of being three hours, this episode of Nitro was only one hour with a second two-hour show scheduled to air the next night on TNT instead. So because of the playoff games, the one-hour version of Nitro likely did not go on the air until around midnight Eastern time at the earliest. And in case you were wondering, the Cavaliers beat the Pacers and the Spurs beat the Suns in what was Tim Duncan's first career playoff series. So with all that in mind, 
It's probably not a surprise to say that Raw was victorious on this night, but what is somewhat surprising is that this resulted in their highest rating of all time up to that point, a 5.7, which easily topped Mid-Nitro's 1.72. As for the Tuesday broadcast of Nitro, it did not fare all that much better, putting up a lowly 2.3 rating, and here is what you could have been watching on those two shows instead. The one-hour version of Nitro featured only two matches, Chris Jericho defeating Chavo Guerrero to retain his Cruiserweight Championship and Goldberg defeating Scott Norton to retain his United States Championship. The rest of the show consisted of a few angles, including Bret Hart saying he wanted to speak with Hulk Hogan face-to-face, Randy Savage and Conan joining the Wolfpack, and Alex Wright being hauled off by security for trying to dance with the Nitro girls. So there was that. It's amazing that they lost. I know. And as for the two-hour Tuesday version of Nitro, here's what you could have been watching. Chris Benoit defeated Disco Inferno. Chris Jericho defeated Psychosis to once again retain his Cruiserweight Championship. Hugh Morris and the Barbarian defeated the Public Enemy in a Norfolk street fight, although it's too bad they didn't go outside to meet DX so they could have had an actual Norfolk street fight. Juventud Guerrero defeated Kidman. Booker T defeated Eddie Guerrero to retain his television title. That one actually might be worth watching. Mm Mm-hmm. Perry Saturn defeated Marty Jannetty. Goldberg defeated Jerry Flynn, not to be confused with Jerry Lynn, to once again retain his United States Championship. And Lex Luger, Sting, and the Giant defeated the team of Brian Adams, Conan, and Scott Steiner via countout for some reason. Yeah. (laughs) But the final segment of the night was Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan in the ring together, with Bret about to reveal the reason why he helped Hogan win the world title last week. But instead, Randy Savage interrupted and started attacking Brett, so Hogan, the Disciple, and the Hitman beat the crap out of him as the show went off the air. Classic Nitro, no explanation of their angle, and they end the show in the middle of something happening. Good times. Overall, do those sound like two episodes of Nitro you would have wanted to watch? I always hated Conan. <laughs> yeah, getting bowdy-bowdy and rowdy-rowdy. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Nobody cares about you. Nobody cares about the NWO Wolfpack. Although I, I was kind of hoping with our, our modern-day NWO, the club, that we were going to get a club team blue and club team red, but apparently <laughs> not. We're just going to have the same shirt on. Keep holding out hope. It might mm-hmm. happen. Yeah, I never know. I still, I still say that the best thing they can do is to either have Seth Rollins team up with the club or maybe Finn Balor, but right now he's going to go probably face for a while and have aj bring up the revival from nxt and have oh. him th- th- that be the new club there you go so basically <laughs> you didn't think much of that uh, episode of nitro is what you're saying oh yeah i'm already moving <laughs> past it there, already past it hey, if there's if those there's no chris canyon or disco inferno i don't care there, there you go <laughs> so let's go to the raw synopsis and troy let's start with you so what were your overall thoughts on this episode of monday night raw this was another one of those uh, um, th- those really good episodes where you you keep building towards something. You get segments kind of throughout the night that build towards the main event, which which I really like. You get kind of the backstage segment, you get the McMahon segments, things like that. We've got kind of this underlying thing going on on top of the the other stories that are going. So um, the other thing too is is we're we're still in that era where the commentators actually talk about the match that's going on. And right. don't and don't just keep 
forgetting about the match and talking about what's happening in the main events. They make sure to kind of keep those main event building segments to the segments that they're scheduled for. So, right. um, which which I always prefer over what we've got now, where at the before every commercial break we've got a graphic coming up on what's the main events and we got to talk about it in the match. Oh, can you believe it, Jr. Or can you believe it, Margo? We're gonna have, we're gonna see the big show take on gold dust tonight <laughs> so it was uh it was an entertaining entertaining show honestly you know the the attitude era is uh, you know, it has a fondness in my heart i i'm not looking to have the attitude era nowadays obviously because it just doesn't translate well a lot of the things held up the the <laughs> the wcb invasion was not only really funny but even to this day you i i was laughing at some of the jokes as juvenile as some of them were oh absolutely yeah um but yeah there was there was a lot of good good parts there you you know we're we're starting to see the uh, the the talent that's on the roster here on display. Um, you know, not counting Goldust, but obviously with with Mick Foley, what's going to become of him pretty soon? Uh, Triple H and The Rock are are starting their ascent to greatness, and it's only a matter of time before we start getting a, uh, um, a couple other very interesting uh, fellas joining the fray. So, to say the least. Mm-hmm. I mean, Val Venus hasn't even debuted yet, technically. So, got that to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm sad to say that I liked him a lot when I was Oh, I liked him a lot, too. I loved it, that he would come out every... Before the match, he would do the hello, ladies, and do the ridiculous sexual innuendo. The the towel thing was also great. So, yeah, the towel thing, yep. Who, what, what young wrestling fan can say that they didn't do that at least a couple of times after a show? I, I have definitely done that. <laughs> but that was way back last week. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and you you know, he's he definitely is for a very kind of under underappreciated talent on the mic. He actually was really decent on, on the microphone. Um, oh, yeah. Just with a lot of his promo. A lot of his promos obviously would be a lot more like, you know, the big Valbuski always comes first. Yeah. <laughs> but it was entertaining. It was funny. And, you know, the, the guy got quite a quite a bit of of mileage out of that character obviously Absolutely. obviously when we eventually turn him into the right to censor and things like that and, you know that that whole thing too i mean you know you you look at the godfather which will be coming up here not not too too long yeah um, still still haven't gotten the godfather yeah yeah that's another character that just kind of <laughs> lasted a lot longer than i anticipated so um and and the, those are the guys you know we we talk about every 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 time the editor is brought up, we talk a lot about the guys at the top, but it's really a lot of the mid card talents too that that really makes a sh- makes a show. We're also going to start dropping some some dead weight here too, um, guys like Mark Merrill, and, <laughs> well, and the aforementioned Barry Windham. Spoiler yeah. alert: does not have long to go. No, Barry Windham, um, DOA is they're about to jump back and forth between three different companies. So, yep. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, uh, then obviously we're going to start getting a couple more. A couple more of those those really good mid card talents coming up, and we get obviously the the emergence of The Rock and Triple H too. So absolutely, that really heats up once the summer goes along. And yeah, and overall, I mean, for me, this episode we had DX invading WCW, Vince trying to screw Austin, Owen Hart turning heel and joining the Nation of Domination, and Paul Bearer revealing that he's actually Kane's father. I think that's a pretty easy thumbs up on my end from a storyline perspective. Maybe one of the most eventful episodes of Raw ever. I don't know. I suppose we can let the historians judge that one. But that's a, that's a lot of angles being advanced in, in one show. So, yeah, definitely thumbs up on my end. Yeah, Quite, it's, quite enjoyed it. 
It, it's amazing what they're able to do here in two hours that they can't even do with three hours nowadays. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we've got uh, we've got a good six different really compelling storylines going on here, in, in in just this, and it's you know really set, really setting things up for the future here. And they still have a lot of un, untapped talent. I mean, you look at a guy like Dan Severn made a, a brief appearance here. You know, Club Kamikaze has a couple of uh, of really interesting cruiserweights in it. On top of that, you know, we we do still have uh, Sparky <laughs> Sparky Plug. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's going to be interesting come come a little bit later. But yes, yeah, indeed. there's there's a, a lot of people that they're they're starting to give a little time to that uh, that are really really good talents. And they make the most of it. They make the most of the time they're given. Mm-hmm. It gets to the point where it seems like everybody on the roster has an angle or has a story, and that's uh you know that's that's something I'm looking forward to as we go along. And uh, yeah, so I I suppose we can end it there. So as always, thanks a lot for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I'll remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at rawattitudepod, or more importantly, write us a five-star review on iTunes, just like Mr. John Sabian did, because that helps us find an even even wider audience, I should say. And of course, if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. So Troy, before we depart, would you like to remind the fans where they can catch you outside of this fine podcast? You can find me uh, at the Geek and Gamer podcast, uh, Geek and Gamer Guild podcast. Um, search for it on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher and on Podomatic. Um, no uh, um, Twitter or anything like that for it, but you can email me at geek, or game, geek and gamer guild podcast at gmail.com. Yes, it is. Um, you can also find me on, on Facebook, uh, Geek and Gamer Guild podcast. And uh, I am also, every once in a while, when I can get my child to go to sleep, on the Rundown <laughs> podcast. I got passed up again for a role on Shadowbane, but I'm I'm hoping to be maybe a minor character on that. And so, oh man! Yeah, well, they don't. I like haven't some... even tried. To, I haven't even tried to audition for Shadowbane because I just feel like I'd probably fuck it up. He's got a, he's got a wealth of, of voice talent over there. So um, yeah, he's got some. You've got some good talent over there. Yeah, Shadowbane also on the Questionable Endeavor Network. In case yeah. anyone was wondering, yeah, the then... horror themed podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, then obviously uh, we have uh, questnnetwork.com, which uh, I write articles for on, on a pretty consistent basis at this, yes. at this point. Um, so you can definitely read some of the articles I have on there. I'm going to continue on with that, and I'm going to start branching out from uh, right now. It's just been a lot of wrestling um, articles, but I'm hoping to start doing a couple more uh, different things. I know that uh, we've got somebody who's might be doing some some horror stuff, so that I might that might take me out of it a little bit, but. I can maybe do some kind of comic book movies or, or TV shows, things like that, and do some reviews on there. So, Awesome. And I, I have an idea for a column. It would obviously be wrestling-related, but I, I, have a, I have a kernel of something there, and I haven't written anything yet, so I feel like I'll, I'll try to get something on there uh, rel- relatively soon. But a lot of my free writing time goes into this podcast, so yeah. I, don't have a, I don't have a whole ton of free time, but I'll, I'll try to get something up there. All right. So yeah, I'm actually going to end this podcast with a four and a half minute clip because this episode obviously is not long enough yet. A four and a half minute clip from an episode of WWE's Monday Night Wars show called A New Degeneration, where Triple H discusses how the WCW invasion went down, along with some sound bites from Road Dog, Billy Gunn, Kevin Nash, Chris Jericho, Eric Bischoff, Booker T, Jerry Lawler, Kofi Kingston, and of all people, CM Punk. However, 
With that being said, as is the tradition, whenever a guest host joins the Raw Attitude podcast, I must ask the same question. Do you have an all-time favorite match, promo, or moment that you would like me to play at the end of this show as well? Oh, boy. Hmm. Really putting you on the spot. Yeah, a little bit. To me, I mean, I would just say, why don't, why don't we, since we're keeping with the DX theme, why don't we just go ahead and do the uh, the Road Dog and Billy Gunn intro? Oh, perfect. Nice and easy. I can, I'm sure I'll be able to find a clip of that. <laughs> it shouldn't be hard. <laughs> there you go. So that sounds good. Enjoy the DX story and Troy's clip as well. And I will catch you all next time. I think I might have said something like, I said, I'd like to roll a tank up to him and blow the building up while they're all in it or something like that. And then, you know, like silence for a second. And then like, what if you did exactly that? We decided it was a great idea. We kind of hashed it out. Vince was like, so nobody knows about this because if anybody finds out about this, it's going to get everywhere and it won't work. And the road dog and kid and Billy got to the building. They see all this military stuff. And they're like, what's going on? Finally, Vince was like, go ahead and tell him. So I go, all right, you guys want to know what we're doing? I said, yeah. I said, we're going to get in that tank. We're going to drive over to Norfolk. Go drive right up to WCW and hope and drive that tank right in the building. And they're like, oh, really? What are you doing? And I'm like, that's what we're doing. Well, to tell you the truth, we could not believe we were going to do that. We just get in the tank and literally go to their show. Like, this is just everyday stuff for us. Let's go! The whole time we were driving over there doing it, everybody was like, I can't believe we're doing this. This is the craziest thing ever. This is ridiculous. So we drive down there, we get out, start talking to people. That was as real as it gets. Let's take a tank. And let's drive across the street, and we're gonna we're gonna invade Nitro. Like that's just mind-boggling. I remember Kevin Nash calling me later, and he was driving. He had gone to the gym with Lex Luger, and they were pulling back into the building, and they were driving. And Kevin was like, "What's going on down there?" You know, it's like the big mob scene. And then Luger was like, "I don't know. It looks like an army thing. It must be National Guard or something." He was like, "No, no hold on a second. It's DX." So they drove down into the building, and they're all sitting there, and he's like, you guys aren't concerned about DX being out front of the tank shooting at the building with, like, 10,000 fans around him? And they were like, what? They, like, freaked out, you know? Uh, DX is outside. What? They're outside? Like, why? Are they coming? Are they working for us? I know they're outside. Like, they're pulling a, a riot or an attack or whatever it was. We were standing next to the door, like... Looking out this little window, like, yep, they're out there. And I remember Vishoff coming and go, go back to work. There's nothing to look at. Get out of here. So we all, all kind of had to skulk off and, and, like, I hope they get in. Like, what's going to happen? When DX showed up, it was a brilliant move. As much as I hated to see it happen, I, I went, ooh, ooh. <laughs> they're figuring it out. I'm going to try to drive that tank right in the building. But I guarantee you they won't open the doors. They'll they'll block us from entering and stuff like that. But it'll be good TV, and they'll look like a bunch of cowards. I can see these guys were serious about the war. WWE was always about taking the fight, you know, and taking it to the fullest. I was standing on the other side of that steel door, and I couldn't get this old man to open the door. If they'd have let us in the building, we'd have been like, 
Uh, all right. Because um, we had no plan for if we got in. You want to fight somebody and you go to their house and you start banging on their door and you tell them, all right, come out, let's fight. And they don't even come to the door. Who knows what would have happened had they actually gotten in. When you guys leave, if they're smart enough to get a group of 10 guys together and come down here and and pound on our doors and put it back on us. And Vince goes, great, open up the doors, let them in. What wrestling show are you going to watch? The one with nobody on it, the one with everybody on it. Vince was, you know, the head of the curve and all that stuff. And it would have, you know, I, I wish they would have come. It was really crossing the line. And that's what DX was so famous for. They did things that hadn't been done before, things that other people were afraid to do. This was like a moment for me where I thought, this is why we're going to win. Oh, you didn't know? You ass better call somebody! And you consider this team the greatest tag team champions in WWF history. And of course, if you're not down with that, we got two words for you! 